Hey, 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 horror fans. Welcome back to another episode of Week in Horror. This week, we're covering April 26th through May 2nd. We want to thank you all so much for joining us. We hope you all are being safe out there. Thank you so much for taking the time to give us a listen. I'm JL, and with me today are Alex and Eugene. What's up? What's up, everybody? So glad to have Alex uh, back in the house. Uh, we're so sorry that we missed you on the last episode. Yeah, that sucks. Sorry. Missed you guys. It was hard. It was hard going through a, a Wednesday without hearing y'all's voices. Oh, oh! It was it, it was just us. <laughs> we felt so lonely. <laughs> Who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> we didn't have we didn't have our comic relief, so there weren't as many jokes. So it's kind of like this episode's know, really down. <laughs> <laughs> They're just spewing but facts was, at me. <laughs> so fact. But it was a, it was a good episode. It was a good episode. You know, Tommy was really fun to have on. Um, I hope we have him on again. Um, he said he was kind of inspired by the work we did, uh, seeing the process of, of how we produced the show, and so he was kind of inspired to kind of kick off his own podcast. So maybe he'll uh, he'll kick something off, and we'll we'll see where he goes with that. That's, that makes me feel uh, good that we've gotten so collected now that we can inspire people. Because when we started this thing, it was just like we were running around in a room throwing shit at the walls and just seeing what stuck. And <laughs> now we've kind of honed it into this this schedule. It's a, it's, I'd say an honest, an honest to God production at this point because we have everything meted down. We've got everything scheduled out, you know, over a month, you know, months in advance, and it's just expanding slowly but surely. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's really, really cool. I'm, I'm really happy with it. I'm glad we are inspiring people, dude. It's just that's the thing. Like when we all started this too, we were all so nervous. We had no idea what the fuck we were doing. We were just going <laughs> off of like what we've heard. It was seriously that's what it was. We stumbled over. Something that we will probably never release unless somebody wants to go to our Patreon and donate, you know, like a hundred bucks. We'll give you the fucking first two episodes of our show and you will just <laughs> you just be laughing at us because it was just. Oh, my God. It was so it bad. Was, oh, my God. We were all nervous. You could hear it in our voices. You know, we, we didn't really have everything cut and spliced exactly where it should have. It was it was terrible, but also fucking we just went for it. It sucked. We sucked so bad, but I mean, we, we still probably, no, I'm just kidding. But um, we're at a point now where we've kind of got this down. We've got a schedule. We get together. We talk about it. Now it's like a thing. So I guess what I'm trying to say is if you're out there listening and you want to get rolling into something, I've got a lot of friends that are like, I want to start a podcast, but I don't know what to do. Just fucking record some shit. Record it. You know, put it out there if you want to or not. Listen to it back. Have other people listen to it. We use feedback a lot to build where we're at. Just do it. Go for it. Hell, what are we, 30, is this 31 episodes? This will be, yeah, episode 31. 31 31 episodes, which, I mean, isn't a lot compared to some of the other podcasts that are out there, you know, with four or 500 episodes, but it's a fucking start. I know a lot of podcasts that don't even start publishing their stuff until episode 34, 35, because they don't feel like it, you know, we just threw it out there. Shit, we've got over a thousand followers now, you know, and our listens are going up and analytics look good. So, I mean, hey, go for it. Yeah, absolutely, kind of thing. It's the easiest time to ever start a podcast with all the websites and stuff like that. And that everybody's are out stuck there. inside. Yeah, you know, you so you might as well just you know hang out with your friends and talk about some good stuff, kind of thing. And then you know people will see the effort that we put into our production. So um, before we get kicking up, kicking off, um, so this is something that was brought up to me. Um, we have we have several listeners and uh, who just been binging the show. 
entirely. <laughs> you know, during this whole quarantine shit, they something that was brought up to me was very very interesting. I'm gonna I'm kind of surprising Eugene with this. So I had I had a listener who's a good friend of mine. I'm not gonna name names because I don't want Eugene going after him. Oh no, we only like, name he, names he if you out. put your so, fucking Patreon. So the, the, <laughs> this is gonna be this is gonna be something that we're gonna that we're all gonna work on together. So he made a joke that there should be a drinking game. Oh, you guys aren't drinking? That no, that every <laughs> single time Eugene says kind of thing, kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Every All time right. he says kind of thing, you take a shot. Already <laughs> <laughs> And he just did it again. So I'm so glad that he did. And actually, actually, I think he did it twice. So, so, so our audience would die. die. <laughs> That's what happened. So our audience would die. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm so, pushing a quarter so, bottle of Captain in this cup. <laughs> so bringing that up. If this is a possibility now, now that we've brought this up, now that we've actually you, we've brought attention to it, one of our one of our listeners brought attention to this, and he brought it to me personally. This is a friend of mine. So now that he's brought it to our attention, and Gene is now aware. You sorry, Eugene is now aware of this. He's probably going to make a conscious effort to not do it anymore. Ooh. Or he may not give a fuck, and he may just he may just do it as well. So, I propose that that actually is a drinking game. That every time Eugene says, uh, "Kind Alex, of thing." That you take a shot of whatever favorite beverage it is. So it's going to be the the kind of thing drinking it. So if so, if you're listening, kind of thing, kind of thing, kind of thing. No, don't kill them. I'm so, I just I had to bring it up because I was going to wait, and I was going to wait till Eugene said it again. And if you didn't say it, I was I wasn't going to say a word. I was like, you know what, you know, I'm, we're just gonna do this. But this is something funny that I think that the audience would would probably enjoy, and we may actually get people drinking to this. Please don't drink to excess. We know you're stuck in the house, you're not going anywhere, but that just is more instead of to keep drinking. So be careful, drink responsibly. I'm, I'm sorry, know, Jared. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> just do me a favor. If you feel like maybe you've drank too much and you're going into alcohol poisoning, just like call somebody, poison control or something. Go ahead and fucking drink. Sorry, that's the alcohol talking. <laughs> Just make sure when you pass out, you are face down. <laughs> or on your side. I mean, that works. Yeah, that, that works Yes, too. or if you are drinking with them, roll them onto their side. <laughs> I've implemented the buddy system. I will text my fiance and my best friend when I'm really drunk, being like, hey, I'm really drunk. And then I'll text them in the morning saying, hey, I woke up. It works. <laughs> like yeah, it, get, it gets a point across. Like oh okay, it made it through the night. If they don't hear from me by you know twelve one o'clock, no, I'm just kidding. I've been getting up really stupid early recently. But uh, yeah, no, just like JL said, drink responsibly, but also have some fucking fun while you're in quarantine because this is garbage. Fuck yeah, fuck yeah. I'm probably gonna be tallying here on the now. I'll be in my notes. I'll be tallying <laughs> every time I hear it to see how many shots I'd be in. And if I if I surpass ten, then I'm fucking dude. If you, <laughs> if you can take ten shots in the hour and twenty hour and a half, we're talking. Then I mean, you you can. We need to go to the bar together. <laughs> that, that means you can hang. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're buying. <laughs> um, All right, but we got a big shout out. This we week. do, we do. There was uh, somebody that reached out to us, uh, went ahead and threw something in the can, as JL would put it. Got it in the can. Um, the Isolation Horrors and Bloody Face Mask Horror Short Film Anthology 
produced by, or I guess created by five filmmakers who are M.W. Daniels, Emma Dark, Nikolai Cornum, Richard Marksworth, Markworth, I'm sorry, and uh, John Whitaker all got together and did some, uh, I guess, viral style and uh, quarantine type uh, short films uh, that will be premiering on YouTube on the 24th at 9 o'clock p.m. Check them out. Go on YouTube. Look up the trailer. It looks like it's going to be awesome. These people got so bored. Got the We've been talking about making quarantine movies this whole time. They went ahead and did it. Um, go ahead. Check them out. Uh, go look them up on, on Facebook and uh, YouTube. And, uh, you know, give them some love. They, they put some, some work into this, and you can tell. Absolutely. And we know that when y'all are listening to this, that this will be that this, that this will air post uh, the premiere. But it, it will still, still be, be up, up on, on YouTube. YouTube. Yes, it will still be up on YouTube. But we wanted to let it know, you know, let people know that it did premiere. <laughs> I didn't even on April. 24th. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, I, I was, was like, wait a second, that's it, in two days. It, it came to, when they asked us to promote it uh, to give them a shout out, they they weren't aware of our recording schedule. So, um, but this one, yeah, you because know, this episode goes live on the twenty sixth. And but this would uh, this premieres on the twenty fourth at nine p.m. Of course, you can find it on YouTube. But we want to make sure that you guys know uh, know about it. It's the isolation horrors and the bloody face. Also, you know what? We should we should pop that on our uh, on the Facebook page. We will, um, yes. and then in that we will, we will in that out. case, we'll pop it on the Facebook page. And then while you're listening to this, if you did get a chance to check it out, shoot us an email as well and tell us what you thought about <laughs> it, what you liked, what you didn't like. Um. Yeah, just just get a hold of us on uh, weekendhorrorgmail.com and let us know what you thought. Yeah, I'm definitely really excited to check it out. It's yeah, kind of thing. I'm curious to see what they what they put together. Just being stuck in their homes and shooting a horror film should be really. Yeah, I'll be I'll be watching it during the premiere. So, shit, maybe we should jump on uh, Discord and watch it together. That would be cool. Throw a little bonus feed right. in there, maybe. You know what? We could, and we well, could, you know, we'll, send it to him as we'll feedback. Sort it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways, getting right, ahead of so ourselves. As we, Anyways, as we close out the month of April, um, Alex, because he was gone last week, I'm giving. We're letting him kick us off. What do we have? Oh, first? I get to be the line leader. Yes. Yes, you do. Because, and I know it's going to be. It's a fun one. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm really excited about this one actually because I got to watch it today. But uh, we are going to. <laughs> go, go back in time to a greater point in our lives back to 2002 <laughs> when we weren't fucking quarantined and everything was awesome on tv uh on april 26th 2002 jason x came out jason x because you know he got drugged to hell and then ended up in fucking space 455 years later <laughs> <laughs> this movie starred kane hodder uh, i believe it was kane hodder's last role as jason and then uh, mm. you've got a, a whole cast of super awesome Jeff Geddes, uh, Lexa, I can never pronounce her last name, Lexa Doig, Doig, David Cronenberg was obviously awesome in this movie, even when he got killed. Um, and then one of my favorites in this movie, Peter Mensah, is uh, Sergeant Brodsky. I feel like I was leaving out a big one, too. Oh, Peter Mensah is sweet. No, yeah, dude, that Tony Todd looking motherfucker. <laughs> Oh, he was dude, dude. He was badass as fucking Spartans. Hell yeah, dude. Oh fuck yeah, I forgot about that. He was he was he was Doctore. No, he's I, see. I get, oh yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Oh, he's so good. In that he show. was so hardcore. Dude looks, 
Dude looks like he's carved out of fucking onyx. <laughs> Dude, no, he, he really is. He's, he's super awesome. But uh, yeah, so like I said, uh, Jason X takes place after, I guess after technically Freddy drug him to hell in 9. Jason goes to hell. Uh, this follows Jason 455 years into the future where he was on a ship, gets cryogenically frozen, and then... A group of stupid teenagers, because that's how this movie works, uh, ends up grabbing him, bringing him to their little spaceship to study him. He thaws out along with, uh, I can't even remember her name from the beginning of the movie, but uh, thaws out and then obviously just, so hold on, back up. I was trying to put this into words. It, it, when I watched it again, I fucking clicked. It clicked in my head that orgasms are Jason's alarm clock because <laughs> it waits up until there's like a super vanilla sex scene in the movie and then jason unthaws wakes up and then just fucking brutally murders everybody people fucking not on my watch <laughs> <laughs> eureka what <laughs> yeah no so yeah jason becomes teenage sip Premarital sex. Premarital sex. Where's this shit? I smell it. <laughs> when he's in the fucking, when he's in the VR simulation, we love drinking beer and smoking pot and premarital, we love premarital sex. <laughs> and then he fucking recreates the sleeping bag scene. That's your fucking territory. Boom, boom, boom. But double time. Have you ever beat a motherfucker with another motherfucker? <laughs> it was, it was fucking funny. It was hysterical, man, because you could hear them, you could hear the girls inside the bag like, uh, uh. <laughs> that's that shit was fucking great like <laughs> now <laughs> when we were talking about doing this movie i had voiced my dislike for the movie but then i went back and rewatched it and i was like never mind i actually really like this movie watching it like now versus when it came out because i think i think my issue with it was there were so many loopholes like he just kept he got his fucking head blown off and then, oh, the nanotechnology. And then all of a sudden he's okay again. And then, you know, and then I remembered the final sequence where Brodsky, the badass, fucking turns into a shooting star and blasts him into the earth, which I thought was <laughs> when he, amazing. When he, rides that, when he rides that motherfucker in on re <laughs> <laughs> That dude was the fucking most badass in that movie for sure and i'm sorry before we get into anything about this movie i want to know y'all's favorite kills oh oh and, and, and jason x, x. oh i'll see I feel no go like, ahead i see i feel like jl will probably say the sleeping bag scene so i have to go with the liquid nitrogen where he like freezes her head and then smashes her head, bashes her right face open, the fucking table, <laughs> like straight up T one thousand like style, when it breaks apart. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. I unfortunately the sleeping bag, the sleeping bag scene is not a kill because those were holograms, so we didn't actually kill those girls. Yeah, technically, still, it was still fun to watch though. It was, it was great it's, to it's watch. Fun, it's fun as fuck to yes, it's it's hysterical to watch, but my absolute favorite. My, I, I don't necessarily call it a kill because it was when he was fighting the robot, when he's fighting the android. Oh, dude, that was okay. a badass scene, though. Exactly, and she, she's 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 blasting all like that, and she does that whole thing where she's flip she's doing the flip flop, and then she blows him up, then he falls on the table, and the nanites come up, and he comes back, and he's uber Jason, and then the robots like shooting him. She's like, oh, he's upgraded, 
And then she rolls up and she does that whole thing where she runs up to kick him and he just hits her one <laughs> fucking time and knocks her and knocks Takes her, her head, head clean, clean the, the fuck, fuck off. off. <laughs> and I was like, that shit was priceless. <laughs> it just And then dude blam, and then dude carries him around just, for the carries the fucking head around for the rest of the Carries her fucking head around the entire like the rest of the length of the film. <laughs> and I was just that shit caught me so off guard because he's just standing there just taking bullets like what the fuck? Okay, he's like, okay, I guess I'm bulletproof now. He's just taking bullets and shit. Just like doing you know, doing the cane the cane hotter chest breathing. <sighs> and then oh, she runs up on him. He's like, Bink. Bink. <laughs> hit that bitch one time. No weapon necessary. <laughs> Probably his like the least effort he's ever put into a kill. It was just like he a surprised sport. himself <laughs> with it. It was it was such a brilliant hallmark. There were so many hallmarks. Obviously, the sleeping bag kill is a throwback to seven, and the uh, the the liquid nitrogen kill is a is a is a throwback to six when he smashed the chick's head through the you know and he started face come through the side of the of the RV. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. with the, that is one of my all time favorite kills because you just thinking about how hard you'd have to do that just boom and then just like the side of the RV I was like fuck, <laughs> dude. So, but the the punch in the head was a whole was a throwback to eight. Okay, when the boxer and it's arguably one of the best. One of the best choreographed scenes. I love the scene. It's so brilliantly done. It's one of the one of the redeeming things of, of Friday Eight was when the boxer is bare is bare knuckle boxing Jason Voorhees on the rooftop. <laughs> I forgot and about that and, scene. And, and that and that dude is working is working him like nobody's business. You know, solid, and he's knocking him backwards like boom, boom. But you know, he starts he, the guy gets gassed. He's hitting him with everything he can, and then eventually he's hitting Jason in the face. The dude's just like, whatever. What? Just shrugging off his hits. And the bitch is like, go ahead, motherfucker. Take your best shot. And he, <laughs> and then he hit him one fucking time, and his head sailed off and banked and landed into the fucking dumpster. And I was like, God damn. <laughs> okay, so one of my, fav- one of my favorites from, from that movie was uh, when he, the, the dude, I can't even remember his fucking name in the movie now. I just watched it. Uh, dude gets like booted off the uh, the catwalk and lands on the corkscrew, like the drill. <laughs> I started fucking laughing so hard because he hits that screw and then, and then slowly spinning. starts start spinning, spinning down. Yeah. It. <laughs> I was fucking laughing so hard. And then they even say it too. He screwed. He screwed. <laughs> he screwed. And then another. Okay, so on top of that, when the hole gets punched in the side of the deal and the chick is about to get sucked through, and she goes, "This totally sucks." I'm like, I don't know why I didn't like this movie when I was fucking 12. Because I think that's when it, it came out when I was fucking 12. That's probably why. I think I watched it when I was like 13 or 14 years old. It was it was, it was was a brilliant palate, clan, palate cleanser after 9. After, after Jason Goes to yeah, Hell. Yeah, because that was rough. And the weird, mm-hmm. the weird, silly mythology bullshit. Trying to go back to it, that that was basically a really shitty film trying to masquerade as a as as a Friday the Thirteenth film, and you know I've even heard Kane Hodder say that 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 was the worst one he worked on. It was just chaotic behind the scenes. It was chaotic in front of the scenes. The costume was the worst it's ever been. You know, like like seven and eight and and ten and, and Jason X, they were everything was streamlined. It was good. Nine was just out of control. Nine so, was terrible, and you you could just tell from the from the final product that it was just nuts, and nobody wanted to be there. Nobody believed in the script, and the whole fucking weird mythology shit and stuff like that was just unnecessary. So we needed a self referential. We don't take ourselves too seriously. Let's poke fun at the series 
palate cleanser in Jason X. And of course, what what better way to a palate to do a palate cleanse than to do the inevitable in space episode, the the in space entry? Because eventually all horror films do they space. seriously do <laughs> pinhead you know pinhead in space leprechaun, leprechaun in, in space. space I was gonna say that critters in, critters in space <laughs> although technically they're aliens supposed to be in space but it all took place on Earth but then the fourth one was in space and then Jason and Jason in space the only person I, it was like, what what Freddie hasn't gone to space and Michael Myers hasn't gone to space yeah so those two haven't and. There was something about the 90s. You know, even though this came out in 2002, there was something about the 90s and late 80s, early 90s where it was space was the next big thing. Like it was, you're right, with like the leprechaun and critters and all this. We're going to go into space, into space, into space. The problem is, is that all those movies, most of them turned out really bad. (laughs) <laughs> like really bad and it, it gets to the point where having the in space in your title especially on a franchise is like a franchise killer now the, yeah if you just tack in space on it yeah yeah it wasn't like a oh let's, let's go like a oh they're going sci-fi or futuristic or anything like that because a lot of time the effects are terrible leprechaun in space the effects are terrible <laughs> <laughs> like first you, year college animation student back. <laughs> do you think that like we backed away from that now because we're so fucking technologically advanced? Like it'd be hard to. Yeah. Like I, I, I think don't know. I think we I think we've backed away from it because all those movies bombed and it almost became <laughs> killer like clowns from outer space. <laughs> okay, don't shit on killer clowns. Dude, from I outer love space. that movie. I'm not shitting yeah, on that, it. That movie's fun. But, uh, <laughs> But it, but it is. It, it, it almost became. It, it became to the point where first they thought it was kitschy, and now we're going to take the horror thing and go. We're going to go into space. But I think it very quickly became the kind of self-referential, you know, death knell that they know the series is not. It, they can't go back to straight horror. Okay, and few and few franchises are as inventive as say the Child's Play franchise, which successfully went campy and silly back to straight horror they actually successfully navigated that um uh that that writing in there was able to kick that off but usually the in space thing is just the death knell of the franchise that's the writer that's the franchise writers basically saying you know what we can't really go anywhere else we can't really rehash any old ideas we're out of new shit so we may as well just throw them on a spaceship and do space stuff and have like zero G kills and you know weird futuristic bullshit. Yeah, it's like they're pretty much they're out of ideas. And you know, I don't know if some of them are trying to copy maybe the alien, you know, feel to it because you know, obviously that movie takes place in space and that movie's like fantastic. But the thing with Alien is you know, that's a whole atmosphere. It starts off, the franchise starts there. When you have these regular franchises that starts off, you know, on Earth or at Crystal Lake and then all of a sudden they're in space and it's just, it's a weird left turn and it's the franchise giving up. We got nowhere else to go. Pretty much, yeah. It's, I think it's where it eventually turned into people began to recognize, especially audiences began to recognize it as the kind of death knell. And that's why, you know, Jason X was the last, you know, linear... <laughs> Jason film that we had, and then we got the reboot from you know Michael Bay, which was sympathetic. Jason could suck my dick, but um, wait, what? What reboot? 
the 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 Friday the Thirteenth reboot from Michael Bay. Yeah, two thousand nine. Yeah, uh, that must have been a fucking rough time in my life because I've never seen it. That was the that was the one that that was the one that Derek Derek Mears played. Oh, uh, was that uh, right before played. Freddy vs Jason though? Yes. Oh, okay. It was. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They yeah. released that. They released that because Freddy vs. Jason was still in development hell. Yeah, at the time. yeah. No, and I remember. They were having trouble. They, they, were having, they were having trouble landing that, and and so in order to you know keep interest in the character, well, actually, sorry, Freddy vs. Jason was in development hell, and Jason X was made to keep the character, to keep interest in the character going. And I then almost... there was chaos, obviously, you know, Freddy vs. Jason, and then after Freddy vs. Jason did. Well, it made money. It it typically did what horror movies do. It spiked and then it dropped off, and then but the biggest backlash was because Kane Hodder was not in that, because they, they for years they've been building up the Robert Englund versus Kane Hodder fight, you know that whole kind of thing, and unfortunately it didn't happen, so there was a bit of a drop off there, and then all of a sudden Michael Bay decided to reboot it, and he re- and, and Michael Bay's company they or Michael Bay rebooted it. He produced the reboot because of the success of the Takes to Chainsaw Massacre reboot. Yeah, which was fucking amazing, well, and the, then, you know, which was amazing. Yeah. Which actually was quite good, and I really enjoyed it. I saw that in theaters. I thought that was just badass fucking filmmaking. I thought it was just a really solid take on it, and because of the success of that, and that launched a whole new TCM franchise. But they tried to do it again with Friday the 13th, and they tried to make some changes to it, and the changes on that were they tried to make Jason more sympathetic in nature, and that just doesn't work that way. It's It looks like and they're going to be dipping into a, a new Friday the 13th. There's like a lot of talk over the internet that that's going to be a thing. It's, you know, ever since they got the right situation sorted out, I'm so glad that they did. And Wait, you said 2009. Didn't Freddy vs. Jason come out in 2003? I thought it came out like in 03 the, the, or something. Yeah, it like came that. out in 03. I was just thinking back. I was like, no, I remember who I was with at that time. Yeah. Jason, Jason X dropped. And then and, Fre- and next uh, yeah. year, Freddy vs. Jason dropped. That was Freddy, Freddy vs. Jason dropped. And then, uh, and then like, yeah, like, with six years passed. And then we finally got the, the reboot. Well, they tried to reboot it to kick off a new franchise. But obviously, no. Shit. But I, this, I don't think I've is... ever seen that Friday the 13th. You're not. Yeah, you're it. you're you're really not. And it it suffers from what happens with a lot of these reboots is, and this also happened with Freddy versus Jason, is you get these directors that aren't fans of the franchise and they don't understand what made the franchise as important. So they're to them, Kane Hodder is oh well, he's just a guy that plays Jason, blah blah blah, whatever. I'll just get somebody else. It's no big deal. Well, Kane yeah. Hodder has those. You know, a hardcore fan base that was looking forward to the fight, but you know, the director, I think he had like a cliff notes on the entire Friday the 13th franchise. It was like, oh, okay, here's a one page summary of everything about it. And same thing with the reboot. It just, they don't know why people like that franchise. And so they missed the mark. I'm sorry, was that the, that, that had Jared Padalecki in it, right? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, okay. Like, see, yeah. now I'm going back and forth like a fucking idiot. Yeah. No, I did see that one. That's the Caleb Gus, uh, Jason, right? Um. That was uh, uh, Derek Mears. Yeah, but the the kid in it was named Caleb Gus. There was like a whole thing around him when he was like the the kid. I remember the movie now because it like it showed a lot of him as a kid, like the flashbacks. Yeah, he's trying to go find his sister. 
Which about Clay? Clay? Huh? No, Jared Padalecki was Clay. Yeah, no, no, no. The kid uh, uh, was Caleb Gus. There was like a whole th- – I remember there was a whole thing behind it. I had looked into it. That was like one of the biggest things. I remember now. Are we talking about the, like the whole opening sequence? Yeah, yeah. Where they, they're all the campfire. Yeah, where they, the kid, yeah. Because they went out there looking for – they went out there looking for since, uh, a weed crop growing yeah. up there. Okay. No, yeah, no, I remember that whole movie now. Yeah, it was nothing to shake a stick at. See, it has it had some decent it had some decent cinematography. It was good, it yeah. I mean, it was opening. definitely a well produced film. It just didn't the story the, wasn't the opening. The opening was strong. Stringing the girl up in the sleeping bag and setting her on fire to use her as a distraction to get everybody else. It made Jason a, little, a bit smarter and more tactical because it, it kind of grounded him a little bit more in reality. Just in that, there's the, there's a an insane hobo person who deformed hobo person that's out there killing people in the world. Right, and then we were in 2009 at that point too, where it was like films are really starting to get gritty reality. Yeah, yeah, yes. and it was like yeah. they were well produced, and they made you think. It's when stuff started really kind of like okay, that's I guess kind of when like mainstream media, not mainstream media, like mainstream movies uh, started kind of forming into like one. It, it was like that's kind of what separated like indie films and like blockbusters was kind of that time period because there was like a group of people that went off and they're like, okay, we're going to use as much money as we can to produce this very well shot, perfect picture. And then you got a group of people like, no, we should stick towards the story and, you know, dive more into like key points of the story. And I remember that exact time in my life. It's super weird, but Yeah. I don't know that that Friday you know, the Thirteenth was. I was because I was always intensely bummed because Jason X, being the last time we saw Kane Hodder in the room, I miss that guy. And, mm-hmm. and I know that, and it, I felt so bad because that I don't know how many of our listeners you know are familiar with all of the details of the story and that you know, and even now we still you know now in 2020 we still don't have all of the details of what you know specifically went down. What we know is that. The lead up to Freddy versus Jason was Robert Englund versus Kane Hodder. You know, the two characters who were the best. Yeah, obviously Robert Englund is Freddy Krueger. Kane Hodder was the best Jason out of all of them. Um, fuck that. Switch the roles. What R- See what happens. Yeah, I don't <laughs> give a fuck what Ari says. Uh, but uh, the but it was it was billed as that that these two titans were going to come together and be in this movie together. And Robert Englund was looking forward to it. You know. They'd worked together. They'd worked together in the past. They really wanted to work together again and actually do this, do this sweet fight stuff. And then all of a sudden, Kane stopped hearing about it. He looked into it, and then they eventually ended up casting. I think it was Kurzinger. Was it? Yeah. No, that sounds right. Or, was it? Uh, I just want to double check the name because there's there's two huge. Yeah, Ken Kurzinger. So they end up casting Ken Kurzinger, who's a big motherfucker. And the reason uh, Ronnie Yu cast him was because he wanted – he said he wanted a really big guy to really showcase Jason versus the much smaller Robert Englund. So he wanted a dude who towered over Robert Englund because in reality, Kane Hodder is only slightly taller than than Robert Englund. So he wanted a dude who would re- to really emphasize the size difference between the two. And then I just watched this the fucked up interview that – you know, pretty much showed that Ronnie Yu had no concept of what Friday the 13th was. He was a director from overseas. He did not know the character. He wasn't familiar with it. And what he understood, he was undead. He walked around. He never ran. And he killed people. So Ken Kurzinger took that to be... He was like Frankenstein. 
which is why we got the the Frankenstein like Jason that we got in Freddy vs. Jason, where he's just kind of stalking around, uh, 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 and it was just yeah whatever. So and it didn't have what the uh, what the I said the emotive qualities that Kane brought to the role. Yeah, no, it didn't, and then of it course didn't it, play out the same. And then yeah, and then when people with them with the social media backlash, uh, people were pissed off, fans were pissed off, and then Kane blamed Ronnie. Ronnie blamed New Line, and then New Line blamed Ronnie. As to who was was going, you know, and and nobody and nobody was willing to take the blame that Kane was left out of the movie, but I think the excuse given was that Ronnie wanted a really really big dude who was bigger than Robert Englund, and that he thought Kane was too puffy. Fuck you. <laughs> Which is bullshit because Kane is a. I've met Kane Hodder. He is a big, muscular motherfucker, and not to mention this was one year after he did Jason X. And he was a motherfucking hoss in Jason X. Mm-hmm. You have so I. You have yeah. to understand the franchise you are working in. Yeah, no the aspiring exactly. filmmaker. Under- <laughs> Why don't you at least watch the previous ones? Damn, you know, bro, you okay? <laughs> I'm, I'm passionate about it. This is why we keep getting I, it, bad remakes. Is because it breaks my yeah, it breaks my fucking heart because. I wanted that. I wanted that so fucking bad to watch that happen. And when I found out that Kane Hodder was not going to be in it, I went into that movie automatically thinking this is going to be bullshit. And while Freddy vs. Jason had its moments, and I really did enjoy seeing, you know, you know, when Freddy gets pulled into the real world and all of a sudden he looks over and fucking Jason is there and he's like, what the fuck? And then, and you knew, he was like, okay, this is cool. This is going to be a good fight. You know, and then, he Jason grabs him and runs him down the fucking you know windows of the cabin. That shit was great. That was about I mean, it. It though. had really exactly. It had good moments. It really did. And then we had some classic Robert Anglin shit. Um, just you know, good stuff like that. But it wasn't Kane Hodder, and Kane Hodder would have brought that that power to the the, the, the he would have brought Jason's voice, and that would have been because uh, could could you imagine seeing the Jason in in uh, in part eight? in Manhattan, going after Freddy Krueger. I can see that. That would have oh, been, a, that been go, a great time to do it. Or if you want to go really, have the Jason from Seven, from, from Part Seven, from New Blood, going after uh, Freddy Krueger. That's some badass looking shit. Instead, we got this, you know, lycra-wearing, you know, stuntman doing Frankenstein moves. In a Jason in a Jason outfit that was actually not even a really good Jason outfit. I remember it was a particular scene took me completely out where there's a scene where Freddy is up on the construction site and he's looking down doing a Scarface impersonation um, to uh, Jason and Jason looks up at him and the he's basically looking up and the camera is above him looking down into his face and you and I could see that he had was not wearing makeup on underneath the mask or it was minimal. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> Details. So yeah, I was I was like, eh, that it, it was just shoddily done. They, you know, it was it was a one off for this guy. You know, and it just made me sad. So and unfortunately, Jason Jason X winds up being at least it was a fun, entertaining last turn as Jason for for Kane Hodder. I enjoyed seeing him. And then of course, you know, J, you know, Kane has gone on to do the Hatchet series. 
and a number of other uh, big things. He's still running strong. So yeah, but you know, as I, you, and probably some of our audience would like to believe or would hope for or pray or whatever the fuck you do. Love to see Kane hotter again as Jason. So that's going to bring me to the audience question. Let us know. Do you think hotter should come back as Jason? I think they should do a fucking remake. They need to bring Kane hotter back and fucking do it right. Cause I, I'm like, I'm sitting here while you're talking, I'm going through that 2009 remake and I'm like, they, they can do better. And now that it's this far ahead, you know, you've got people like us who were there for a lot of it. Jared, you're probably there for all of it. But uh <laughs> the majority. The first one came the first the first one came out the year I was born. So. You were there for all of it. But seriously, let us know. Like, do you think Kane Hodder should we should petition? Kane Hodder should play Jason again. They need to come back. Um what's his face that worked on the uh Texas Chainsaw remake and um, also, I guess well, he also Marcus, did the the uh, Marcus Nispel. Yeah, Nispel. That's his name. Yeah, yeah, and he, he directed that like a yeah. champ. That was so expert. Absolutely, done. I think they need to bring him back. That's, I mean, that's on me. Uh, see, I know you're a Can Hotter fan, Jail, but I'm also like a huge Can Hotter fan, and even like the Hatchet series and stuff. That was so cool. I only watched it because of him, and it was great. He's so good. He needs to come back. He needs to be Jason at least one more time. Fucking. Uh, Halloween just did all these remakes. Like, why can't Friday the Thirteenth come back? You can... I was I was thinking the same thing too. It's like you know you got Blumhouse killing it with the Halloween movie. Like you know maybe put an effort get the rights to Friday the Thirteenth. See, I wouldn't to come I, back. I love Blumhouse. Don't get me wrong, but I think somebody else should do Ooh. Friday the Thirteenth. And it's hard. It's hard to say. I'm. I. I. It's a. It, for me, it's a pipe dream. Getting Kane Hodder back as as Jason Voorhees. Nothing would nothing would just make me happy. I would I would cry to see get to see him on on screen one more time as as as, mo- as my favorite slasher. But we unfortunately I have to and I'll be the, I'm the oldest one here, so I got to admit we are getting old. And unfortunately, people my age who grew up with this, we're getting to the point. Robert Englund has retired has retired from the character. He's still working, but he will not be Freddy again. So Robert Englund has retired from Freddy Krueger. That's okay. We don't. We Bruce don't need Campbell. Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell has retired from Ash. There are the 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 people who made these. I can you know Doug Bradley has long since retired from Pinhead. Angus Scrim sadly passed away. So the the icons that we grew up with are are we're we're coming to the end, and new people have to pick up the mantle. I suppose. So could there be could there be another J- Jason? There there definitely could be another actor who plays Jason. <laughs> With the performance that Derek Mears gave Swamp Thing. Let's get in the, uh, in the, the Undertaker limited Swamp in Thing there. series. You know, okay, um, with the performance that he gave, I believe that Derek Mears could do it again. I believe that he has become a better actor in portraying roles like that. If he brought the the kind of just the emotive capabilities that he brought to Swamp Thing and bring that to Jason. And then as long as the production company stayed true to the formula, we could have a really fucking amazing Friday the 13th movie. We really could. Will it happen? I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, it's already been more than 10 years since the last one. Yeah. And I've heard nothing. 
And it, it's the whole thing. They just got done with the whole court case, you know, deciding all the rights. The rights reverted back to the original writer. So the, the guy who wrote Friday the 13th, the original Friday the 13th, the guy who wrote that now has the rights to Friday the 13th and the rights to young Jason. But Jason Voorhees, as the adult, is another character entirely. So there's adult Jason and there's young Jason. Because the original writer created young Jason, he holds the rights to that. He holds the rights to young Jason, Pamela Voorhees, Camp Crystal Lake, and Friday the 13th. Adult Jason is the creation of somebody else. They hold the rights to that. So there is, and they just got done in court trying, you know, it took years to try and settle all this bullshit. That's why we got the Friday the 13th game, like the video game, the, the, the downloadable game that came out on Xbox uh, Live Arcade is where I played it. We got that game, but then they stopped making content for it. There was no more downloadable content because of the lawsuit, because they couldn't determine where the money was going to go. Fucking lawyers. So all this, exactly. So that, so that moved, so that game stopped and that was the last we fucking heard about it. And who knows if we're going to get one. Now that the dust has settled and everybody's got their piece of the pie, the question is, could we come together to do this again? Because I know that people were still, you know, fans were butthurt that Jason, in, Jason, which originally was a Paramount, uh, a Paramount IP, and kind of, you know, New Line bought it and New Line was the house that Freddie built. Yes. So pe- mm. people were kind of hurt that Jason kind of invaded that territory. But hey, man, if you want to keep him under one roof, that's all good. So I guess we'll find out. Um, oh, and you know, it just it just occurred to me. Yeah, Tony Todd. Tony Todd's getting up there in age. He will not be Candyman again. We're getting a new Candyman as well. So remember that. So yeah, yeah. I Fuck, I didn't crossed. even Who think knows? about it. Ken Hunter's probably what sixty-five now. I think so. No, he just had a birthday. He just had a birthday last. Uh, this this month. Yeah, because we, we talked about him recently. No, 40, 45. Yeah, sixty five. He was yep. born in fifty five. Damn. Yep, his uh, his birthday was back on the eighth. Shit, son. And he's still a beast. I was gonna say, he I hope I look that good at sixty five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a badass. So who knows? Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. I'm not holding my breath. Well, shit. Audience, let us know. You think Hotter's gonna be Jason again? Hmm. Weekendhorror yeah. at gmail dot com. Please talk to us. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're so lonely. <laughs> we love talking to you guys. All right. Mm-hmm. Moving on from a great movie to a great movie? Eugene? <laughs> from a great movie to a 1963? movie? 1963? <laughs> to a movie? <laughs> a movie. Yes, yes. A movie. Shit, that's going to be the title of our first movie. A movie. <laughs> 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 Weekend horrors, a movie. <laughs> Weekend horror, a movie. We race to do a podcast whilst uh, our killers after us. Yeah. It'll be like Spice World, the movie, except for a podcast. Oh, Shit, God. stop! Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna dive right into this, dude. Don't, don't even. What's your favorite horror movie? Showgirls. Absolutely, tr- absolutely terrifying. <laughs> The scream killer just hangs up on you. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Uh, no. You're safe. <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. So. This is not what's up. <laughs> <laughs> so we have April 27th, 1963, right? Based off of a book, right? Sci-fi horror book called Day of the Triffids. 
and it is directed by Steve Selkie and starring Howard Keel, Nicole Mari, and Jeanette Scott. And basically what it is is you have a meteor goes and enters the Earth's atmosphere and it blinds most of the people. Right, And you have a group of survivors that gather in England and it follows this military officer and they mount resistance and try to find a way to stop these plants that came from outer space that are eating people. So it's a good old plant horror movie. I fucking hate it when that happens. <laughs> you know, a little, a little side note, a little side note, Alex. You notice all the little pauses with Eugene. Now? I was, I, dude, I wasn't gonna say anything. <laughs> Fuck you! Why did you say anything? I'm so self conscious now. I was gonna let it ride, dude. He's got me. I just, I, I was just him. thinking it in my head. I was, I was like fucking holding my drink in my hand, and I was gonna be like drink, but then he never did it. I keep trying every time. I keep trying to take like, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. So I'll just pause. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, just, I was sitting there listening to talk. I was like, wow, he's doing really good here. Wait a minute. I'm hearing these pauses that I don't normally hear. Like, oh, my God. He's stopping himself from saying it. He is. You fucking, you were supposed to let it ride through the episode. Now he's super self-conscious about it. I got to type up my what I'm going to say first and so I can read it off. Be like, hang on, everybody. <laughs> this movie is about... <laughs> Oh shit! He's got the fucking teleprompter going on. But I got a but I got a but I got a chicken block Now I don't I don't want to I don't want to shit on day day of the trippets. I actually happen to like this movie. Uh, well, I'm so mad at you for breaking the drinking game. I'm sorry. I'm, All right, anybody I'm listening? Move, since JL fucked on. it up, drink. <laughs> so every time JL fucks it up, drink. <laughs> so. I, I actually I actually dig this movie. It's a it's more of a guilty pleasure for me. I like the just the the plants. The plant design always kind of intrigued me. You know, you want to do like plant you know like a like a plant horror movie, and you don't want to turn you don't want it to turn into like fucking happening or some shit or Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. So <laughs> I I loved I loved the idea of the 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 very alien design of them. The it was almost reminiscent of. Kind of like the original Who Goes There, in that because in that in that original story the 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 monster was very much a very kind of like plant plant based organism that had you know, freaky eyes and weird tendrils and shit, and I liked it because there was it 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 wasn't just like a big plant like we see on Earth. It didn't just take like a plants we see around and just make them big and make them walk around on their roots. There was a legitimate freakiness to it. It definitely kind of it had an alien feel, and for 1963, that's a very difficult thing to pull off. And I enjoyed the work they did, and it seemed like you know everybody was in, everybody involved really liked the project. If there were some decided differences from the book, because the book uh, written by John Wyndham came out in 1951, came out uh, over a decade before the movie did, <laughs> and there were some major differences, but that's to be expected because whenever you're adapting a movie from a book, you're going to have to drop things, you're going to have to change things. There were some characters that were left out of the book, and the book was a bit more concise, it was, or it was a bit more, I would say the, the tension and the thriller uh, aspect, of the, the thrilling aspect was a, was a bit better as far as the science fiction, but there was more science fiction. Killing the plants was not just about salt water. It wasn't like signs, because obviously we know where M. Night Shyamalan stole that from. <laughs> yeah, you know, swing away, Jack. And... <laughs> 
Because <laughs> I'm sorry, because that's why I love this movie. Because I I was watching Signs, and the minute they did, oh, it's the water. Well, they, he just stole it from Day of the Triffids. Water, like oh, whatever, dude. So salt water. Sorry. So the book I thought was a little bit better. It was more of a sci-fi book instead of a thriller. But you know, making the movie, they turned it much more into a thriller and an effective thriller at that. But that's what happens when you're adapting books to movies. You're going to change some things, lose some stuff. It's not like we could get like, well, technically Peter Jackson did shit or did shoot a three and a half fucking hour movie with Lord of the Rings. With We're the, not going to go into the Lord of the Rings. I was going to bring up the mist <laughs> no. again, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, technically you can do that, but typically you get some like a, a big difference, like Cujo. Okay, mm-hmm. in Cujo, the book, the little boy dies. Spoiler alert. But in the movie, now imagine showing that in a movie. You go through all this tri- you know, the rabid dog, all the chaos. You know, mom's losing her mind. Kids, you know, freaking having seizures and shit. And then she finally kills the dog. She gets the kid inside, and then the kid dies anyway. People, oh my god, people would just shoot themselves in the face. <laughs> like I almost did in the mist. <laughs> oh man, I was hoping you were going to come full circle to that. Yes. I will always come full full circle with a Stephen King reference, but but in the movie, obviously the little kid lived, and that's a bit more obviously it's more heartwarming. People just oh good, thank God, you know the kid survived. So in that respect, you always get some changes. There's a lot of different examples of it, and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Phantoms being a really bad one because <laughs> <laughs> the book was decent, although Affleck Affleck like a motherfucker. He was the bomb in fantasy. He's always the bomb. <laughs> well, because at the same time, you have this difference of mediums where any kind of action that happens on in a book costs the same. It costs whatever costs to print, you know, ink on a paper. I said it. I caught it. I, ah, I said it. But... Drink. <laughs> Take a shot. Ah. But oh. when it comes with movies... Depending on what happens, there's an inherent cost that comes behind that. Sorry. <laughs> I can't even speak I anymore. It. I don't even have a point anymore. I, heard the, I don't. I don't have I a heard point. The <laughs> I can't talk. <laughs> episode 31, the episode we fucking broke Eugene. <laughs> That's going in the description. That's going in the description. And this episode, we break Eugene. <laughs> I, I don't have a point anymore. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> 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 movies are more expensive to make that was my point yes <laughs> no and no actually, you're I, gonna lose eugene keep talking no that no that's that's interesting i'll give it i'll give him that because i did i actually wasn't thinking about uh, thinking about it in that respect is that you have to look at it because obviously you've seen the difference between a novel is that you've seen the difference between a novel and you see the different you know the novel and the screenplay and Typically in filmmaking, for those who, for our listeners who don't know, when you are reading a screenplay, um, the 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 industry standard is that one page is one minute of action. So if you have 140 pages, it's gonna be 140 minutes. So you imagine scripts like you know scripts for movies, you know, like the script for Interstellar was a was fucking huge. Because each page is, is typically a minute. God damn it. I just and just imagine the script being dropped in front of uh Oh my god. I think I had too many. The fuck is his name? Alright. Matthew yeah, McConaughey. Yeah, the script was dropped in front of Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> How much money? 18 million? Alright, alright, alright. Alright. <laughs> I was imagining a different one. They dropped the script, it's like boom. He's like, alright, alright, alright. <laughs> but 
It does. And if you look at it from that respect, there could be a couple of paragraphs, just a couple of paragraphs in, in a novel. And what you just digested in that pair in, in those two paragraphs, that could be 10 minutes oh, at least, yeah. of screen time mm-hmm. or even more. That could be 20 minutes of screen time, depending on what's going on. And then you look at it from the, from a, from a director standpoint with camera angles and establishing shots, transition shots and, you know, close-ups and wides and, you know, doing all that and doing all that shit. And then of course, lighting it, sound and all the people that go into it. It's an enormous undertaking to adapt it and try to do it faithfully, which is probably, you know, why the Lord of the Rings movies cost so much fucking money because New Line basically opened up the bank account and just told Peter Jackson to go hog wild, which is why we have a three and a half hour cut of the first movie. Well, yeah. And it was, I was actually watching some behind the scenes from Cabin in the Woods and they're talking about how, you know, there's a line that says, all hell goes loose, where they press a button and let all the creatures out. The script said, all hell breaks loose. And like, that was it. That was a $10 million line. Because that's something it costs to film the entire point of all the creatures coming out and killing everybody and all that other kind of stuff. Okay, I'm sorry, but that was worth ten million fucking dollars. Oh yeah, oh it was worth that it. Was, it was that worth was it. But in terms of translating a line, like say a line in a book to film, all hell breaks loose. That's quick, easy. You type it, you move on. But it costs ten million dollars, and they spent like a month and a half filming that. God, I was just really you know, going to foreshadow the next movie we're going to talk about because of that. But you know, a little bit, a little bit of trivia there for anybody who's seen Cap in the Woods and likes it. Produced by Joss Whedon, directed by uh, uh, Mark Goddard, um, who's a long, uh, who's a longtime collaborator with uh, with Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon directed Buffy the Vampire, created and directed Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and he usually did the the season openers, uh, the season premieres, and the season finales. In the season finale of season three. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, when Buffy was taking our no season four, sorry season four, season finale of season four, Buffy was taking on the big robot monster Adam. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> there is the final the final sequence of that of that season was they're down there in a laboratory. It's a government laboratory filled with the monsters that they've captured around the Hellmouth. So they got vampires down there, they got demons down there, they got all kinds of just very shit all locked up. They did the exact same thing at the end of season four of Buffy the Vampire Slayer when they crack the, uh, when uh, they open up the, uh, open up all the pens and all the demons and monsters and shit come loose and start ripping everybody apart. So this was Joss Whedon getting to shoot his big budget version of what he did in Buffy at the end of Buffy season four. So he's had that fucking idea in his head for so long. Yep. That's why. That's why when she saw that deal and it was like purge, yeah, like hit the button. She was like, "Let's let's get this party started." And I was like, "Holy shit, he's doing it again!" <laughs> Only this time we have millions of dollars to do it. It's worth it. Worth it. Worth it to see. I worth it to see a unicorn stab a guy to death. That, Dude, that was like okay so all of it was super fucking cool and like that that right there like made the whole thing it was like oh my god you oh wait a second this is a horror movie and then fucking gores the dude it was amazing i just showed that that movie to my wife for the first time a couple weeks ago and she is very picky about like she loves really crappy horror movies but like she's very picky about like mainstream movie i see what do you call those i call them mainstream movies 
Is there like a word for like uh, big you, budget movies? Well, you well uh, typically mainstream being that films that are marketed towards a greater, bigger audience. Yeah, not not so indie they're, films. They're, she loves crappy yeah, indie films. Well, typically, typically mainstream. I I take it to mean formulaic. Okay, fu- because yeah. there is a there is a formula to making movies. Fair. And that that formula works for the mainstream. So if you see a movie that's that you could tell it's an Act One, Act Two, Act Three, right. Denouement, and stuff like this, then then yeah, then that that's a mainstream film. And then it's when you get into you know non mainstream films or indie films or even low budget films, that's when you get stuff like where they where they twist it around. Like I would say, Memento was not a mainstream film. That was an indie. It's a great film though. Be- it is. A, it's a magnificent, magnificent film. But it's a magnificent film. Magni- it is a magnificent film. But Interstellar, that's a mainstream. Film. Okay, yeah. Act so that's one, two, that's what three. I mean yeah. by that. Then, so like Cabin in the Woods being like a mainstream film. She's really picky about those. Like A Quiet Place, I love that movie. She picked that fucker apart, and I was like, okay, there's a second one coming out, and she's like, yeah, but why? And I was like, oh fuck, okay. But yeah. So, anyways, long story short, I showed her that one, and the whole time she was like staring at the fucking screen and like ooh ah and it was it was great i loved watching her watch that movie but uh yeah well, we could definitely see, we could definitely see why the translation from book to movie can leave much to be desired or it, or it can be a good move and i think in this one day of the triffids a nice you know i would say a cult classic this is kind of like a um you know something you see at the drive in you know this is a good drive in movie something you know Joe Bob Briggs would watch. Man, we are I, I know, we're busting into I know a whole Dan, bunch of foreshadowing. I know, here. It, I know it was on uh, MSC3K. I think MSC3K watch, did a watch on it. Did you so, see but, the Joe Bob's Bri- or Joe Bob Briggs? Uh, the Last Drive-In is coming out. I did see that. Oh yes. my god! Yeah, he's doing the Last oh, Drive-In okay. where he just like he's gonna sit down on. I think it's Amazon Prime. Uh, he's gonna sit down and they're gonna watch like old Hammer horror. And like grindhouse nice. type films and stuff, like driving movie type shit, and like discuss it and drink beer and play games and shit. It's gonna be good. Man, that sounds pretty badass. We used to go to the drive-in back when I was a kid, back in California. I saw Gremlins in the drive at, at the drive-in. Jesus, back in California, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but you in Texas now? I also want to talk. We'll talk about talk a bit about 1963. Um. The plants and the plants, like I mean, it, mm-hmm. it was such an early concept of like plant horror, which I mean, you know, coming up after that, like Little Shops of Horrors, even. Um, you mentioned the happening, which we're not even gonna fucking talk about in this episode. I'm sorry, guys. And I think that uh, that Little Shop of Horror, that was the one with Jack Nicholson, yeah, came out. That was also that was um, what was that? What, what are you looking for the year on it? That was that was nineteen eighty six. No, eighty six eighty six was the was the one directed by Frank Oz. Oh yeah, no, that was the Oz. You're I'm right, about right, the right. one that, I'm about the one that had uh that had Jack Nicholson in it. Um It was really, really early. It was obviously early, obviously early in his career. Um God, that dude's like a fucking immortal. <laughs> oh, god damn it. Uh, I didn't know there was another one. I only remember the the eighty six yes, version. Um uh, let's see. It, the the film gained a cult following through word of mouth. Was distributed as the B movie in a double feature with Black Sunday. Um, the film's popularity increased with local television broadcasts and the presence of a young Jack Nicholson. Uh, it's from like the nineteen sixty one, directed by Roger Corman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
We are really up to date on our little shops of horror knowledge today. (laughs) Yes, 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 it was. Yeah. Okay. You get in the little shop of horror. You get into that stuff though, and I guess there was there was more earlier (laughs) ones than I than I realized. I suppose. Day of the Triffids being one of the earliest uh, that I could find. But uh, even up to like 2019, there was a movie, uh, it was called Little Joe. And uh, that, it, if you got some time, watch it. You definitely do because we're in fucking quarantine. So go check that one out. It's actually pretty good. Um, there's also The Ruin. There's also The, the Ruin. Ruins. Hey, I was yeah. getting there. I was getting there. Back off. That was, <laughs> I'm sorry, it just it popped my head. That was an effective little. No, creature. that was definitely one of my all time. So it was. It was a plant horror. It was the plants. The plants were doing it. Now, The Happening sucked because it was The Happening. But then you got the same year The Ruins came out. And I saw that one. And, like, even though it's not super scary, like, the the plants weren't, that you know, they did the little jingly hissy thingy. And, you know, you knew, like, somebody was going to get fucked up by a plant. But when it came down to it, like, it was, like, the unknown. Like, what plants do we t- We're surrounded by fucking plants all the time. And that's what makes it scary is like, okay, cool. But then like, oh, the grass is going to kill you. Just like this freaking quarantine where it's like if you touch your face, if you breathe in the wrong way, you know, you you need to be aware of what's going on around you. And then you realize like it is all around you at all times. Plants are everywhere. You got some in your house. You got some right outside your front door. And they're not there's they're, they're I guess they're not sentient as we know it, but like they're still living organisms and they can evolve, they can adapt. And if the earth wanted to like reclaim earth, if the earth somehow figured out that humans were the problem, it wouldn't take more than a day for, you know, for some, it would take some time for these plants to evolve, but they figure it out. You've got stuff like the Venus flytrap. That's like a huge thing in horror where, you know, you got the the Venus flytrap or like, I mean, you can like look at stuff like Jumanji with the giant, but there are carnivorous plants. They have adapted to eat flesh. And it probably wouldn't take very long for the Earth to figure out that humans were an issue and then they could all adapt. So, I mean, like, it's very possible and it's a creeping horror and it's not traditional. So it's kind of even more off. You know, it makes you think real hard. Like, fuck, man, we piss these plants off enough. We gas them enough. We put enough <laughs> shit into the air. They could probably they could probably do something. That's like there's a there's a statistic that spiders could eat all humans in like a matter of years if they decided to. Plants could just decide that they didn't want us around. They could recognize that we were the issue, adapt, evolve, and then just fucking wipe us out. So like yeah, it is kind of a like a like a I guess like a niche horror, like a an off the beat horror genre, but it's definitely a fucking possibility. And it makes you think that's why I think the ruins was cool. Cause they were like going through, they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't figure it out. And then it was like, it wasn't the most obvious suspect. It was like the least obvious thing. It's the fucking plants. Holy shit. So I don't know. I, I enjoy everything that has to do with like, I mean, you could even do like swamp thing, but that's, I mean, that's way off, but you know, attack of the killer tomatoes. You could do that. I love those movies. Not The Happening. Fuck that movie. But everything else, I think this is probably one of my favorite horror genres would be plant horror. And they don't do enough of it. They really don't. And one of my favorite shorts is Treevenge. 
where you have the uh, the I've Christmas trees. <laughs> yeah, you talked about that early in the podcast, and I watched it. Well, back yeah, back because it's because it's Christmas. It's a Christmas uh, short, and the Christmas trees that are all cut down to decorate people's homes decided to take revenge <laughs> and so that that shit was I did, eugene eugene wasn't it you that introduced me to that yeah it was yeah he talks about it a professor showed me that a couple years ago and it was made in 2008 but they made it look like the 80s like the whole 80s and the feel the slasher and everything like that and it's fantastic. These trees are brutal because it's something like you don't think about. You know, you're like, oh, we're just going to go cut it down, set it up. And not to think that, you know, that's a corpse of a thing that's there. <laughs> Two of the fucking tree snatches. <laughs> just in the lifters. Ah, just fucking <laughs> When the tree throws a dead cat. That is my favorite though. They're running out <laughs> and it kills it, a cat. When it, slings, <laughs> when it slings the fucking star off its head <laughs> and it, it's like, what? <laughs> takes the dude out. The shit was fucking great. Oh, amazing. Hey, did you guys ever see, this is kind of, I, I guess it's technically plant related. Did you ever see shrooms? Yes. Oh my God. Yes. By far, if anybody is ever like talking about like, I, I've recommended this movie to so many people. If you want to take a fucking trip without taking drugs, watch the movie Shrooms. And it it falls into the plant-based thing because, like, obviously something was tainted or whatever. But, yeah, no, dude, that's one of my absolute favorite movies. Sorry, but back to the Christmas trees killing people. When they fucking, when they go outside and there's the fucking trees running around outside the houses. That, it's fucking that, great That was my shit, favorite man. part. There, 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 there's a bunch of good ones. There, there really is. For those who haven't seen it, Tree Vengeance on YouTube. Oh, dude, go watch it. It's yeah, like, go, go check it out. It's like 10 it's, minutes long. It's a short film. Like yeah, just yeah. go fucking watch it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. When I was doing research into this, Invasion of the Body Snatchers came up, and I could not figure out why, and then I remembered the movie. Oh, Pod, pod Oh, people. yeah. The Pod People, yeah. that's that's Pods, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we've talked about a lot of our favorite kind of killer plants out there. And we want to ask the audience, what is your favorite killer plant? Is it the Triffids? Is it the Feed Me Seymour from Little Shop of Horrors? Or Tree... Audrey 2. Audrey 2. Or, you know, The Happening. Don't even... What? Oh, no, no. It's a breeze. Oh, it's a killer breeze. So out of all those, what is your favorite killer plant? I'm going to so, have to like, go with the, the scary <laughs> flowers from the ruins. The ruins. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the ruins. The fact when they start when they started mimicking people's that, voices. That that was yeah. like yeah. No, that was fucked everybody's up. fucked. <laughs> hey, when they, well, sorry, sorry. When they start mimicking the sounds of her having sex yeah. in order to turn the girls against each other. In order to create conflict <laughs> so that one of them might accidentally you know, get killed or get injured. That was that, that. I was like, oh, okay, we're on another level. That movie had we're some going brutal somewhere. moments. Yeah, yeah. The the breaking the that to sever the leg. Oh, dude, yeah, dude. Oh, that was yeah. Rough. yeah. God. Mm. <laughs> Gnarly. You know, I was questioning recently why I'm so desensitized to just brutal shit, and I'm starting to understand. <laughs> <laughs> Watched a lot of fucked up movies, man. You know, thinking about it, yeah. 
But anyways, <laughs> segue. Man, we all, all right. went somewhere there. <laughs> yeah, we all went to a dark place for a moment, and it's just silence. <laughs> all right, so of the land of the bah, shut up, bah, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> all right, Jail. What do we got next? Yes, I will be happy to pick it up and. Take it on from there. Um, this one is uh, a, what another uh, personal favorite of mine. Uh, April twenty seventh, two thousand twelve, uh, psychological horror film called The Raven. Ooh. And Ooh. I enjoy this film, directed by James McTeague, and written by Ben Livingston and Hannah Shakespeare, starring John Cusack as Edward, Edward or sorry Edgar <laughs> Allan Poe, Alice Eve, Brendan Gleeson, and Luke Evans, all of which you know fantastic actors. Um, this movie did not get as much credit as it should have. I really love this movie. I'm also a big fan of Edgar Allan Poe. And the film follows a kind of fictionalized account of Edgar Allan Poe's last days. Because those that are familiar with the uh, with the horror of the Master of the Macabre, Edgar died on a park bench, or you know, was found dying on a park bench and wildly muttering the name Reynolds. And he was taken into uh, or taken you know to a doctor. Where he passed away, saying Reynolds, Reynolds, his name is Reynolds, and no one understood what it meant. No one understood what had happened to him. Uh, there were th- uh, there are dozens of theories about his death. Well, the Raven cooks up a very, very decent story as to what may have happened in Edgar Allan Poe's final days, as a serial killer begins to plague the city of Baltimore, whose and his kills mirror the works. Of Edgar Allan Poe's darkest and most bloody stories. Okay, the pendulum but, part was like one of the most. Yeah, Pit and the Pendulum, uh, the Cask of Amontillado. Of Amante, of um, I'm, 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 are you are you playing your own fucking drinking game over there, JL? No, or what? I'm tripping over my fucking tongue tonight. I don't know what it is, but yeah, so I'm getting all the fucked up words. Thank you very much. It's macabre. Macabre. <laughs> And that's what I really, really dig. Well, the the movie plays as a psychological horror, and John Cusack sells this thing like a motherfucker. Dude, he really one really of his does. best fucking I roles. He was, I mm-hmm. thought he was a is a brilliant performance, almost as good as he was in fourteen. Okay, I was gonna say is it eighteen oh five, nineteen oh six? What the fuck yeah. is the number? It, <laughs> he was magnificent in fourteen oh eight. Yes, and I've seen him do. Obviously, I've I've, I've loved to. Uh, I, you know, I could forgive 2012, but John Cusack is a super is, is just a, a supremely talented actor, and getting him getting to see him put this character to work, I can't. I don't think I've seen a film that went so, or a, I would say a project that went so far into making Poe as real as possible. Where I've seen characterizations of Poe, you know, uh, facsimiles where they take they take the most extreme aspects of poe and turn it into a a caricature but this was this felt like the man you know doing his best to carve out a living as a fucking writer in 1800s baltimore fuck they could have cast a lot of people as edgar Allan poe in this movie but it would not have it wouldn't have hit the way that it did without cusack in this absolutely and i'm a i Everyone brought their A-game. I'm a huge fan of Brendan Gleeson. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Love, you know, I've loved him. You know, and all the things have been, you know, I loved him in Braveheart. 
He was, you know, 28 Days Later. He was the dad in 28 Days Later. Yes. Such a fantastic actor. And, of course, uh, Luke Evans. And Luke Evans, we just celebrated his birthday a little bit ago. He was the police detective um, who was uh, investigating the murders and, you know, dragged Edgar into this into this shit. What I love most about this movie is it walks the fine line between horror and the macabre. Dude, it really does. You, you, come, you come into a movie and... Watching this movie, it could be – it's hard – see, that's – you put it, it walks the line of a horror and macabre, but, you know, you think – it's a, is it a thriller? Is it a, you know, mystery? It's all of it. And you say the line between horror and macabre, macabre being more, you know, murder and, like, less – horror is going to be paranormal, grotesque, people getting their arms ripped off. But then you get into this movie and it's like legitimate murders and it follows like with the, the Edgar Allan Poe always walked that line between horror and macabre. Always. With everything that ever came into it. Like uh, the pendulum. That's why I specifically pointed this out was because the pendulum part of the Raven, you know, that could that could be horror. But it's also it falls directly under the it's so hard. This line this line is so thin in this movie, and that's why I love it. And Cusack, that's why I brought that up too. Cusack made the difference in that. You could have had, you know, you could have. I'm trying to think of somebody that you could have put in there. It, I honestly can't think of. I can't. I can't either. That. You could put a lot of people in there that would have made it a horror movie, though. That's the thing. You could put a they, ton they, of people they, in there I that would have made, made a caricature of it. Right. It, it would have been. Played on. They could have made it a scarier version, but then you put Cusack yeah. in there, and he's like. He is dedicated to this role, and that's what makes it more macabre than horror. Is he's following the way that he acts in the situations, and the way that he is taking each part of it so personally. I don't know. I, I'm just I was blown away. I honestly didn't watch this movie until recently, and I was blown away with Cusack's performance in this because he keeps it on that line. He keeps it up to the mystery murder part of it, which is more macabre. You've got people that, you know, they've just got their throat slit or stabbed or shot or whatever, as opposed to like being ripped apart. And I know that's like the storyline. They're following his stories, but they could have easily made it into a horror movie with Edgar Allan Poe's stories, but they kept it so true to Poe's style of making you feel dark and gothic and ominous I think, and obviously the setting of the setting of uh, Baltimore in the eighteen hundreds, you know, cobblestone street. I mean, that just comes off gothic. Oh yeah, of course. That 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 works. That plays into it. Of course, the weather in Baltimore is you know typically terrible, but it's. I think that opening scene with the the first the first victim scene, the first murder scene, when the cops bust in and the window is nailed shut and the door was locked from the inside. And the, the people who were in the room are missing, and there was a terrible scream. And they come in, and there's like, what is going on? And they're looking around, and then all of a sudden they find that the there's a, a secret spot that opens the window when you hit it. Yeah. But you'd only know it if you if you were, like, looking for it. Okay? And then all of a sudden you see the hand, you hear, like, something move in the in the chimney. And, and then, then the, the fucking arm flops out. <laughs> and it's just, it, but it's just the arm. And you wonder you, that's a t- that's a very small chimney. So you have the idea. So macabre leaves it to the imagination. Yeah, absolutely. It, and and I think you don't have to a, show it, all the gore. Tr- mm-hmm. Exactly, it translates very well to film because it's almost like uh, Steven Spielberg's. You know what you don't see is scarier. You don't see the shark. 
So it's it's far more terrifying because you don't see it. And, of course, in this, the macabre, your imagination runs wild. You imagine, what did the killer have to do to pull this exactly. off? Exactly. It comes down to, like, did, how mm-hmm. hard did the killer work to know the person that he's fucking with? Exactly. And so, like, the pendulum scene you keep mentioning, the pendulum comes down and it's swinging back and forth and it's getting lower and lower. And you know this is going to fucking suck because the first hit's not going to kill him. Most likely the the fourth hit is not going to kill him. And we know the story too, because we've read the, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. and then, but then when they reveal the body, the focus is not on him being cut in half. The focus is on his face as he was dying. Right. The focus is there on the, the look that is frozen there at the point of his death. And then that you have the macabre instead of, you know, we could focus on the fact that you know, he's cut in half, his fucking guts are everywhere and it's, you know, blood. But when they get gross. into like the the actual like human aspect of it, yes. that's mm-hmm. when it becomes macabre and not horror. Because like, you know, we were talking and about that was, Jason that was something that Poe did. That was something that Poe did very well. A lot of it was so implied. And he liked to think of the human aspect, a terrifying aspect. It wasn't necessarily the act of the death, how gruesome it may be. It was the tension beforehand when getting uh, okay, bricked yeah. up kind of thing. You could show somebody screaming and, you know, deteriorating or you know, anything like that. But it's the that fear. It's that buildup. That's what Poe in Poe's writing focused on a lot of times. It wasn't in Telltale Heart. It wasn't when he killed somebody in the very beginning. That's just what's whatever. That's just setting it up. It's the torture afterwards when he starts hearing the heart beat in the floor. That's oh what Poe liked yeah, to focus dude. on. But so that's the thing. Like, I think that's what makes it scary is like we can watch a horror movie and people are getting fucking massacred in ways that just don't happen on a day to day. But then you get into this aspect where it's like. Okay, but how would I feel in that situation? Like, what if I was in that situation? And then you really start thinking about, like, you know, your mortality. And that's what Poe did was focus on bringing out your own mortality to make you think about your own mortality. What was the the line? What what was the line? It was, I believe God put put a spark of genius in him and quenched it in misery. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so human. Ugh. And the and and considering the you know his the mysterious events that that led up to his death, I know there are so many theories as to what went down that it, it, it's so unknown because at the time we, uh, Eugene, what well, he was he was my he was dirt ass poor, he was deeply alcoholic, and I think he was he was popping pills too. Oh yeah, uh, and he was only forty years old. Which oh, even <laughs> I was like, oh <laughs> shit! It. Speaking of mortality, <laughs> oh, and, just kidding. We love you. Live for many years, Joe. And quoth the raven, quoth the raven, nevermore. <laughs> Once upon a midnight dreary. <laughs> <laughs> and he was only forty years old, and even that's that's an early death, even for eighteen forty nine. Um, yeah, kind of thing. He so oh shit drink I know I know I've said it like six times already since then (laughs) I think I've just accepted it now. (laughs) But the thing about his the thing about his death this was weird about it was they found him in a park on October seventh, eighteen forty nine, at five o'clock in the morning, and he didn't have clothes that there's someone else's clothes. 
He kept uttering the name Reynolds, 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 and no one could understand what that meant. And with forensic science, the way it was in 1849, they can only investigate so much. Yeah, but and how many fucking people were around at that point? <laughs> people just people just don't know. And forensic science was still a new thing because there were multiple different reports on how he died. There wasn't even a consistent he died from this because some people have said he died from you know heart disease or epilepsy or syphilis. Some people see had cholera, rabies. Uh, there was one it was delirium tremens. Basically so, just, like yeah, all the normal shit from forty nine, yeah. yeah, from forty nine. Basically, de- descriptors of what they think led to it, based upon the symptoms that they saw. I think there was one theory that that he was a victim of cooping. Yeah, he was a victim of cooping. I mean, there was just so many. There were so many different things out there that was just. So there were for those for for for, the, for those in our audience who are not familiar with the term. Cooping was a strategy utilized by uh, people who were running elections where they would, through violence and rough coercion, would force people to vote multiple times and sometimes would beat people up or, you know, pretty much torture them to, you know, just to keep them going. And that he was delirious from, ha- from having this happen to him. There was, that, that was a possible theory because there was an election going on at the time and that you know, election runners may have grabbed him, not recognizing who he was in his kind of like in his lowly state. And he may have been a victim. They might have mistaken him for a homeless person. And they just they cooped him. And that's what happened. to him. So that's a theory. what you're that's saying is the government has always been fucking corrupt. That's another. One. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say something that, along the lines of they're trying to pin something on his death. That probably didn't have anything to do with his death. Never mind. We're not getting into COVID right now. Yeah, the one of the big things was at the time, death by alcoholism was considered real disreputable. So you didn't want to say, "Oh, someone drank themselves to death." So they would a lot of times come <laughs> he up couldn't with, "Hang." Yeah, no. <laughs> he would have you know congestion of the brain, cerebral inflammation. They'll come up with stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, it's such a shame what his his rival uh, Griswold fucking Griswold did at did after his death, which was which is pretty fucked up. Having you know <laughs> secured himself as the executor of his estate and trashed him in the paper and just kind of just annihilated his character after the fact. It was such a shame what, what happened to him. That we you know then again we remember Poe and we don't really remember Griswold unless you're kind of into that style of uh, of literary action, but. Uh, yeah, with the, the I guess he he wrote he lived as he died he wrote what he knew and we gotta tip our hats to that because his work has inspired virtually every person we've ever talked about on this podcast. Yep. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I was gifted. See, I say I don't know about you. That doesn't even make sense. I was gifted when I was younger. My uncle gave me a uh, a book of. It was actually two books of all of his work. And I was young. I was probably, shit, 12 or 13 when I got those. And my mom was like, what? No, you can't get. And so then, like, they were snuck away. 
And then uh, he ended up giving them to me, you know, under the table later in the day. And po- I, I read every single story that he ever wrote. And like you said, it's, it, it, it's so many things are influenced by his writing. And just to like know the story that he was like never really successful. He was always kind of this just lowly, like you said, probably confused for a homeless dude scraggly yeah. you know it, it was so genius but he was so ahead of his time there might not ever be a it's, time where his work would even be like appreciated because it's so good that it'll it just I, it'll never die it truly it stands the test of time that people today are still in school learning about it we talk about the raven telltale horror annabelle lee fall of the house of usher all these other pieces and compared to a lot of other writers, he didn't write very much other than his short stories and his poetry. He didn't write that much, but all of them are good. Oh, we still got to give, I mean, got to give credit. You know, the one that the one that still gets me, gets me every single time I read it. The sweet Lenore hath gone before with hope that flew beside, leaving thee wild for the dear child that should have been thy bride. It's Lenore, that, that's a haunting, haunting poem are yeah i think uh next to the raven may be more popular but i think lenore was one of his best and his most optimistic as, as optimistic as edgar allen possibly be. <laughs> uh, that was a good day you know the life upon her yellow hair but not within her eyes the life still there upon her hair the death upon her eyes it's you know you know the the but it the concept of you know seeing her again in the afterlife and like that uh you gotta give him that but I, that's what I want to know. Let's ask, let's ask the audience. Let's go to the audience. Let's ask them. What is your favorite Poe work? What your favorite of his works? Be it the Raven, be it Lenore, be it you know any of his poetry, be it his short stories. You know the Pit and the Pendulum, the Telltale Heart. Um, let us know. We'd love to. We we love to hear what you think of the author himself, of the author and poet himself. Um, we could talk about him. Let us know uh, what you like the most about him. Please do so. Alex is carrying us into our next film. Man, we are all over the board today, huh? <laughs> we really are. But, <laughs> we are. Yeah. We just kind of bounce around all over the place. I'm only yeah. thinking about these movies. I'm like, man, these are just all super spaced out. But I guess it's because of the time period. This one came out in uh, April 28th, on April 28th in 1995. Uh, Village of the Damned, which... This is the 1995 version. I think there was three. Was there two other remakes after the original? This there was. Uh, let's see. The, the the I think the book was the Midwich Cuckoos, and then there was the 1960 63 right 63 uh, Village of the Damned. Then there was a sequel called Children of the Damned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're mm-hmm. right. You're right. So there was the and the one remake, there, yeah. and then yeah, and then the, this was the remake of the. Original. This is the John Carpenter remake, uh, written by yes. John Wyndham, who wrote the or just the writer of the book, and then uh, Sterling Siliphant was another writer on this. Uh, this stars Christopher Reeve, uh, Kirstie Alley, <laughs> a younger Kirstie Alley, um, Peter Jason is in this movie, and I. Can never fucking pronounce the last name of Linda Kozlovsky. 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 Kozlowski. Yeah, that one. She played Jill in that movie along with uh, Michael Perret uh, as Frank in that movie. 
um christopher reeve and kirstie alley being the main characters there uh don't forget mark hamill Mark Hamill was in this movie. You're right. He was the Reverend. Yeah, that's right. Mark Hamill is the Reverend. Just, All right. know, I don't know if you've heard of him before. Mark Hamill. You know, just he's just, just a little actor. He's, he's done a few things. <laughs> Fucking Mark. I'm Hamill. just a really big fan. <laughs> Thomas Decker was in this one too. I, yeah, there was there was some pretty big ones. But, you know, being 95. Yeah, that's so over. weird. It's so weird because Thomas Decker was in this, and he went on to you know. Kind of a, a decent little career, but Hayden Christensen was in In the Mouth of Madness. Yes, he was. So where, where, where is where is Carpenter finding these young these young guys who are going to go on to have the you know, they end up doing some... very similar very similar career trajectories? It's kind of odd. <laughs> it's the same thing. How you know, the same thing happened with Christine, <laughs> the the uh, the guy who played Arnie in Christine did the same thing, same trajectory. Um, so weird. Anyway, I'm sorry. That just popped into my No, that is weird. I didn't even really think about it. And then now I'm looking at it and uh, oh. Thomas Decker was in a lot of – he was in Friday the 13th. Or I'm sorry, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm That's Street. That's what I he meant. was in the remake, yeah. I was thinking about fucking Most Friday. Most people might know him. He was in uh, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Yes, yes, he was. He, he was one of the he – he played uh, uh, John Connor. <laughs> sorry, I just played like that whole movie in my head in a matter of seconds. <laughs> Anyways, so Village of the Dam follows uh, this little town in California. Uh, I guess you could say an unseen force or an alien force shows up on life or on Earth. Life. Jesus Christ. Start over. Anyways, Village of the Dam starts in this little town in <laughs> California uh, where they're visited by some unseen force and 10 women get pregnant. And they all give birth to these children, except for one. One is a stillborn. And these children show psychic abilities early. And then essentially, I guess the way that I wanted to say it was a little town in California gets bested by a bunch of bratty fucking kids. <laughs> <laughs> is what I'm trying to say, but in like a in, you know, respectable terms. So basically, basically California. So yeah, I mean, it's just... <laughs> So it's a movie about California. No, these kids, you know, they, they have these psychic abilities and end up like trying to like control the adults of the town and make them do stupid shit. Like that one, that one lady that burns her eyes out with acid because she figures out that they can manipulate you through vision. And oh, the fucking, the fucking hand in the boiling pot. That's the one that always, gets that's me. a rough one too. I think my favorite part of that movie is when, uh, uh, at the the very end, when, when uh, he's got the bomb in the briefcase, just the whole explosion scene. Was good, <laughs> yeah, that 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 was that was that was that was well well shot. It, no, the explosion. If you, I don't know if you've watched it recently, but that explosion goes down in probably my top five favorite explosions in movies. Period. It's fucking amazing, and I I want to be a part of the team that does stuff like that on movies. Yeah, demolition teams have probably have a lot of fun, dude. Especially, but I got it. It's such it's such a shame for such a for such a. I mean, remakes are you know always you are always hit. Or <laughs> Can miss. you really call and, it that though? I mean, they really didn't follow. Well, they they, they didn't change a whole ton. So I definitely, I definitely, it's classified as a remake, a remake of, of the original Village of the Damned, and they followed it pretty. I mean, obviously they they modernized it a bit. You know, it's what fucking over thirty or thirty years. Over thirty years since the first one, so it was it was far enough removed that I think they could take some liberties. 
But it's still and pretty close. It's still pretty close. Exactly. It didn't feel the same. And I just it, it there was there was something it, I, I attribute that to the difference because the first one wasn't black and white. And the color I guess kind the the color kind of of it's it's very hard to describe. You definitely get a different emotive feeling from the color version than you do the black and white version. So I can't I I can honestly say that. It just it does feel different. This the thing that but despite that the thing that makes me sad is is where this film landed in Carpenter's career as a director. <laughs> Not in a good spot. And yeah. Yeah, it's this is you start getting John Carpenter on his decline because we all we've talked about dozens of films that, you know, he's just has like knocked it out of the park. Right. I'm not going to go and list them all. But you start getting a point where they kind of start going downhill because shortly after this, he did Escape from L.A. with Kurt Russell, which <laughs> is whoo that the the, yeah the whole wave thing he rides the way yeah it's escape from la and then he did ghost of mars i think it was about ice cube ice cube and natasha hensridge yeah and that movie was bad uh the ending scene where they blow up the head they blow up the head uh ghost leader where they're on the train and they release the car so that the last car goes off and the villain's stuck in the car and the car blows up. It cuts to like a miniature, but you can tell it's a miniature. <laughs> it's, it's not like Independence Day with the Empire State Building. Yes, that's a that's a model of it, but it's still really well done. This looks like somebody painted like a Hot Wheels. And then shot sparks in front of it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how they could. definitely. <laughs> Fuck when you put it that the way. <laughs> they definitely spent the vast majority of budget on on making the people look horrific. You know, they basically, I think this was the earliest. If you would imagine what John Carpenter envisioned Joss Whedon's Reavers from Firefly to look like, it's kind of what with these people were doing. Is very very similar, and or just kind of what they were doing in that in that film, and just it looked like they spent all the money on that one and everything else. I mean, when you're shooting on the red planet, you don't really have to go too far in set design, as long as it looks red and it looks rocky, and, which pretty much. And it. that was really about it. But this is something I've noticed with some other directors when you start getting up in age, that decline of work, where Ridley Scott. Steven Steven Spielberg. We're not going to yeah. get another Schindler's List or Saving Private Ryan as Steven Spielberg. I just don't. I don't believe it. You know, he hit. He had a couple of iffies. He hit with Lincoln. Lincoln was really good, and then it's been the BFG didn't do well in theaters at all. With really, really Scott has gone down. It's you. Start, you just start getting to decline. I don't know if it's just maybe. You just don't have it in you anymore. Directing a film takes a lot. It wears yeah, people it, down. And all the editors that I've like watched and stuff who have edited feature films say when the director comes in after production, they are a shell of who they used to be. Oh, I can imagine that. You know, it's interesting. You bring, you bring up an inter- interesting point. Something that I didn't think of is that. Yes, a lot of these these individuals, though, some of our favorite directors, they're getting older. And being at that age and trying to run a multi 
sometimes hundred million dollar production set is going to be obviously it's gonna it's gonna make your hair turn fucking gray. <laughs> and it makes sense that people, you know, they just can't maintain that kind of momentum. But another thing that was interesting, because I was sitting here thinking that maybe it's just their their style of film and their their vision doesn't doesn't translate anymore. What I think the problem is is that they're these directors are able to adapt. They're a they are able to step up and move along, but the times have changed, and now we have um, CGI. We have all these different effects and abilities in making movies that the that all of these directors did not come up with. They're all of them have their the their entire filmography is pretty much based in practical effects, based in where character focused drama or character focused horror where where the story is as important as the effects of the movie and nowadays in today's generation unfortunately tastes of you know I, I say unfortunately it's just my opinion but tastes have kind of changed now we have an over reliance on CGI and CGI is getting better it's getting very very good but we have an over-reliance on that. We don't see a lot of practical effects, unless, it's, of course, it's an indie film. We just don't see the practical effects of that. We don't see filmmaking today like we saw in the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. We just don't see that style anymore these days. People want more. They want bigger audiences, want bigger spectacle. They want the fucking MCU. So we just don't get to see the stuff that these guys came up doing. And it's quite possibly when they try to jump in there and do that, it just doesn't play. It's not their medium. It's not the one that they were trained for. It's just not where it's not. It's not their wheelhouse. And when they try to do it, it comes off as a shoddy imitation. People, the audience changes, and people want different things. When I was in college, I had a class, and we talked about Star Trek because the professor was a huge Star Trek fan. And Star Trek's been around from the '60s, and he asked people's opinion of Star Trek. What do you think of it? Oh, well, it's boring. It's so sophisticated. It's this and that. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge Star Trek fan, but a lot of people in the class, they weren't kind of fucking thing. nerd. It's not fucking space wizards with laser swords. Exactly. It's all dull and sci-fi. You bashing on Star Wars? <laughs> but so Stars then, no, I'm not bashing it. I'm not bashing it, but come on. Star Trek, sophisticated, science, exploration, the best of mankind. Star Wars intrigue, fucking action. lasers and beam swords. And, and Star Wars like is <laughs> and Star Wars is space wizards with laser swords. Hey, fuck off. I like both. It <laughs> is it's fun to watch. I I'm a fan of Star Wars. I'm a fan of Star Trek, but Star Trek pulls me in with the science, the exploration, the best of humanity, the intrigue, different alien life, Spock. You know, creative writing. Yeah. But Star Wars is Space Wizards. Space Wizards with laser You can swords. like both. I like both of them. But when they took, wait, all of a sudden they showed the trailer of the remake, the one that came out, uh, the J.J. Abrams one. And he went and he played the trailer of it. And all of a sudden the class was like, oh, that looks interesting. That's because this is the newer generation. You had most yeah. of them weren't around when the next generation came out and all the previous films came out, so they just think it's boring. Now you have the more sci-fi spectacle. You have there's more action and it's more flashy kind of thing. And this is what a lot of the younger audience today is looking for. Man, yeah, it fuck also, them kids. It can also, 
it could also <laughs> it could also be the style of filmmaking because it really shocked me. Martin Scorsese, one of the greatest directors in the you know of our generation, one of the of the last generation. It's, That's a personal opinion. Martin Scorsese made it. Come on, um, The Departed, Goodfellas. Goodfellas. That's it, right there. Damn it. Fine, <laughs> fuck. Just bring the best movies in fucking existence into play. All right, whatever. Scorsese, Scorsese knocks it out of the park because he has a unique under Gangs of New York. Okay, he has a unique understanding of where of of New York, of New York City, of the New York mentality and that kind of life and gangsters and he loves that that wise guy life and he has a unique understanding and a unique feel for the city. He loves the Big Apple, that's where he likes to shoot. And you can tell in everything he does. But does it translate because the Irishman what I think only resonated with fans of Martin Scorsese. But it's something coming out now. It, it I watched the Irishman and it felt like nostalgia. Wow, this is everything I love about Martin Scorsese's films. But this is nothing new. It felt like I was just kind of watching an ode to everything Martin Scorsese is good at. It felt like like if you had the Goodfellas, Casino, and then the Irishman would be like some kind of weird trilogy. Yeah, exactly. I found it. I, I mean, it, it was it was good. It was good Scorsese, but it didn't bring anything new to the table. So it felt very nostalgic, and I get that when, you know, and I think some of some of these directors have dropped off. But you watch some of their newest stuff; it's kind of like, huh? Well, I can see what they try to do there, but yeah, it just doesn't translate anymore. Like I can feel the Spielbergian storytelling, but I just don't see it translating to this medium. I just don't see this work like this. You need a different set. You need you need to do something different in this. You know, you know to to focus on this. A little girl talking to something that is actually not there. You can tell with the with the actress, and that just doesn't translate. We need the human interaction, and it's probably a different directing style too. When you have all your actors and even monsters on set, and the actress can physically interact with them, you will direct that differently than say a character who's talking to a CG creature. You have to direct that differently to get the same yeah. performance out of it. And it's just, it's a new medium. It's just, they have their style and it's just, it's aged. It's not saying it's bad or it's old or anything. it's just, it's aged and the audience has changed. Yeah. Bunch of stuck up you know, snobby it's... little brat ass fucking kids. <laughs> <laughs> just like in this fucking movie. <laughs> I know you hate creepy kids, dude. I, I know you do. It is, and it's such a bummer because I, I like Village of the Dam. I liked the 1960s version. Um, I love the book. And it makes me sad that not only was, you know, in my in my opinion, was Village of the Dam one of the markers of the decline of Carpenter's work. Where people stopped taking him, taking him seriously. It's really like, hard, yeah, too, because, like, I mean, right before that was, like, in the Mouth of Madness. Exactly, it, and that was that, but that, and that was Carpenter at his peak. That was him doing what he loves. And then and the then you year have after like big that, trouble, you got Village Big Trouble in Little China, uh, Christine, dude, Christine, the yeah. Thing, Escape from New York, The Fog. I mean, so, like you can go down the fucking list. The Fog, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it, I think his, I'm not sure what I have to confirm what year, but I think the loss of Deborah Hill, his wife, uh, when they divorced. 
I think that was that also was a big hitter where he we began to see a, a sharp decline. But I think Village of the Dan was the last one where we could say this was a decent film, but the you know, you could see where it was kind of slipping, and it makes it doubly sad because this was Christopher Reeve Christopher Reeve's last film. Yeah, our Superman who sadly you know became paralyzed in a horse uh, in an equestrian accident. Up, yeah, just a freak accident. This. Just a freak accident, and it's just it, and it's it's it just it breaks my heart because he was really fucking good in this movie. He was. I really enjoyed. I like you know because Christopher Reeve had solidified himself. The man he was Superman. Okay, he was in that role, and you you when you see someone get locked, when you see an actor get locked in that role, you don't often get to see, get to see the opportunity. See them get the opportunity to kind of reinvent themselves or to go in another direction, to play cross type and to do something new. And this was Christopher Reeve doing something new. This was Christopher Reeve not in the typical Christopher Reeve element. And I loved seeing that. I loved seeing him in this, you know, being able to take on this this different character who doesn't have all the answers, who is inherently a good guy, but he's weak. He, it, but we're not watching Clark Kent. It was a testament to the man's ability to create a character, even after character. being Superman. Superman mm-hmm. for four fucking movies, a Superman, a character that people cannot relate to. He's a fucking alien. He's essentially a god. But Christopher Reeve brought him to us. And we could relate to him. We can't relate to fucking Brandon Routh in that suit. We can't relate to fucking Henry Cavill in that <laughs> you suit. Brandon Routh, okay. okay, we can't. We can't. We can't relate to Dean Kane in that fucking suit. But we can relate to Christopher Reeve in that suit because he brought a humanity to it that no one else thought to do. Everybody sees the alien. Christopher Reeve saw that. It saw things in characters that few people did, and he did that. And I, th- he, I think he took this part and he fucking ran with it, despite. Kirstie Alley kind of dragging it down a little God. bit, which I felt that she I will, did. I will not sit oh. here and bash her all night long, but I will say just I could do without. <laughs> exactly. It was just the energy was not there. I think she I think she saw some of the things that we're talking about and she and she phoned it in. She but could play the one. hell out of like a TV sitcom type situation, but serious. You got to believe in the you got to believe in the role. And Christopher Reeve believed in this role. You could tell what you could tell in his performance. You could tell the things, the nuances he added to it, and it's fucking a, the goddamn cruelty of the universe that this was his last movie, and the mark of the decline of one of my favorite directors of the of the seventies, the eighties, and the nineties. You know, it's a you know, it's such a shame. Did you know I, he directed two episodes on Masters of Horror? No. Oh, you're right. With the uh, uh, Masters of Horror. Yeah, yeah, yes, he directed yeah. two episodes um, of that, Pro Life and then cig- uh, Cigarette Burns. Cigarette Burns was the one with Norman Reedus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was really awesome. Fuck, I'm going to go watch that again like when we're done with this. Yeah, I want to watch that again. That was really again. fucking yeah. good. <laughs> that was a good one. Shit, I was just like, ooh. Just fantastic shit. But yeah, you know, being, all just... over, being all over Halloween and then, I mean, like even like Escape from New York, like you said, Escape from L.A. was kind of... The absolute downfall. And then he got into like vampires and ghosts and Mars and stuff. But um, I think one of my favorite all time. I, I love all those other movies. They're great. I think one of my favorite ones though was Assault on Precinct Thirteen. That was that's excellent. a really good movie. That was probably excellent one of my favorite movie. John Carpenter films, for sure. Um, 
alongside like the fog if we're going back to like his older stuff because you know like there was in the mouth of madness like that was like the peak that was great that was amazing but then you know village of the damned and then falling down to i guess masters of horror that was like oh five i think it was opportunity to work at uh, to for to see him work in short form yeah it kind of came and back to kind of have the, the kind of have the 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 creative reign he got the creative reins back so we got to get some 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 good authentic uh, John Carpenter style work again, but that you know, like I said, it, it's short form, um, smaller casts. You know, he gets all the creative. Uh, you know, he's limited by his budget, but he gets all the creative control. I think he got to he got to flex his wings again and kind of get back to what he what he loved to do. You know, and he really got yeah. into a lot of shorts too in like the recent years. And I think he, he's gotten pretty he's gotten pretty big back into composing as well. Well, yeah, and then you get into, can... like, even, like, Halloween, too, because, you know. Yeah. He's got the the new ones coming out. I think they've got, what, is it Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends? Uh-huh. Uh, are coming out. But then I know, I was looking into them, and there's, like, a lot of, like, short stuff that he's got um, uh, writing hand in, uh, the like, Back, even back to like 2015 but going from like the rebirth of michael myers i uh, looked into that a little bit and then coming up even you got halloween comes around halloween kills the haddonfield nightmare halloween ends uh they've announced all sorts of shit for halloween so like at least you know he's out there writing still in it going for it you know with all his halloween sparking back up which is great I don't know. Maybe we'll he's see some going... some cool new shit from him. He's definitely getting up there, but uh, yeah. he's still pushing, which is cool. Maybe the limited capacity helps instead of trying to go for the full two hour, eighty to hundred shooting days, that kind of thing. Where getting the short, it's easier to go and get the short together. That's like forty five minutes long do some composing, still being involved, but not at the full director capacity. Because we will see we see a lot of directors who become big names end up going on the producing side because you can set up and be, be heavily involved in the story, but you're not don't have to do the day-to-day director work where right. every yeah. single shot you're involved in and putting together, you don't have to do that from a composer standpoint, from a producer standpoint. It could just be easier. Exactly. And like JL, you were about to say uh, he's composing. Like he's definitely been, you know, balls deep in like a whole lot of music. You know, he's writing all this this music. He wrote a, uh, it was a short little ditty uh, in the show Happy, I don't know if you guys have watched that, but yeah, I'm familiar with that. Show. It's fucking amazing. Yes. But yeah, he does he does like a song in that, and then uh, have you guys watched The Babysitter? Oh yes, dude, that was that fucking was that, was that was an amazing you know not another that was a good teen one on movie. Netflix. I'm, I'm I'm really Samara Weaving is starting to really grow on me. Uh, yeah, no, I can agree with that for multiple reasons, but. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Guns, he, she's she's pretty off the hook in Guns Akimbo. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. Um, so something that one of our uh, Patreon subscribers actually was over yesterday, and he is a Animal Crossing player, and in that game you can go in there and hack the music. When you talk to people, they play their own little music, 
And he hacked it so that whenever he talks to somebody, it plays the Halloween theme song in a different tune, like every time. So it's like bells or trumpets. So he's sitting over at the table, and I just hear, like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, come check this out. So, like, you know, it's still fucking relevant. You know, all this shit is still out there. It's I, I fucking love. He's got a hand in so many things. It's just amazing what he's done with his career. And unfortunately, you know, he went through that kind of rough patch, but he came out on top, I think, when it comes to thinking back to our younger years, for sure. But that'll bring me to a question for the audience. What is your favorite John Carpenter film? There's so many good ones out there. So many. And, and, you know, they're all older, too. And that's the thing. He was so far ahead of everything else at all times that that it's really hard to pick because it's like you go back and watch all of these, you know, over a week and you could still be like, I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, my, my favorite assault on precinct 13, just the way that that movie was directed was fucking fantastic. But yeah, audience, let us know. We can horror gmail.com. <laughs> Please email us. Talk to us. <laughs> I keep waiting. repeating it. So it can stuff in people's heads. <laughs> <laughs> just send us a fucking email we'll respond <laughs> we will we get we get plenty we get plenty of uh of mail but we want more more mail more mail please <laughs> <laughs> remember awesome. the first five minutes is free then four not a minute after that <laughs> <laughs> fuck man rates have gone up since <laughs> the days of infomercials <laughs> wasn't it like 69 cents a minute <laughs> 69 cents a minute God, who has a landline anymore? Anyways. <laughs> no, I just did some work at a couple's house that are in their 70s and they got a landline for something. It was like a it was a legitimate reason. But they knew how to work iPhones and Alexa and all that shit way better than I'll ever be able to figure it out. Their whole house was automated. So you know, you got these 75, 76 year olds walking around. Like, Alexa, do this. Alexa, do that. And I'm like, I don't even fucking know how to program that shit. Like, you plug it in and just start talking to it? Or I don't know. Time, <laughs> She's all, here, let me you. show you. Start breaking Alexa apart and, like, <laughs> tinkering with it. Oh, man. Yeah, no, fuck that. Anyways, yeah, favorite John Carpenter film? Let us know. Hit us up. WeekendHorrorGmail.com. Eugene, take us to the last movie for the night. All right. The last movie of tonight. Released May 2nd. 1974 and it is frankenstein and the monster from hell and, and this monster fucking, was truly a hellish sight it was it's something to fucking, look at it's such a fucking awesome title for a movie i mean only in the 70s could you get something <laughs> could you get something like this this shit would not play today oh no it, it wouldn't every all titles got to be mysterious but this is just straight Frankenstein, the monster from hell. You know what you're getting into, like, right off the bat. <laughs> or I you... love how it's from the 70s, too. This movie just plays, like, it. they push it. They The, the like, ambiance of the whole movie is so, you know, whatever, 1930s or whatever they're trying to portray there. But, like, it, 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 it they do it so well for the 70s. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the line when they're in court and what the fuck does he say? It's right before the dude says, yeah, but I'm a doctor. 
Like you've committed one of the most heinous acts or something. <laughs> but yeah, I'm a doctor. One so of the okay. most heinous acts of humanity. He's like, yeah, but I'm a doctor. <laughs> you created a homicidal like inmate. Yeah, but I'm a doctor. <laughs> it's okay. Duh. <laughs> you created a killing machine that killed a bunch of people. But I'm a fucking doctor. <laughs> but I'm a doctor. So it was directed by Terrence Fisher and stars Peter Cushing, Shane Bryant, and David Prowse, along with Madeline Smith. And basically in a nutshell. You almost said it. You almost fucking I, said it. No, again. no, no. <laughs> Fuck, we broke him. God damn it. No, I just want to drink this drink. No. I wanted a drink. Mine's already empty. So, <laughs> I'm getting there. Don't worry. <laughs> and so, basically, in a nutshell, you have Victor Frankenstein, who is works at a surgeon at an insane asylum, and you have another scientist who admires his work. And they start stitching body parts together to form, you know, a new monster. And new, it's kind of a ape-like monster kind of thing that was just weird a little bit, but funny to look at the same time. And <laughs> funny to look at the same time. So they go and they put them together and... Um, he tries to kill himself and then he comes back and all of a sudden all hell breaks loose. All hell breaks loose. All hell breaks loose because he's the monster from hell. Monster from uh, hell, yes. <laughs> I thought finally it took you a minute. <laughs> I was going to let the joke marinate for a moment. <laughs> just just to see. So this, I've, I've been looking forward to having this one on because this is the first opportunity we've had in 31, you know, 31 episodes to talk about Sir Peter Cushing. And I, anybody who knows horror, especially hammer horror. Knows Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing was, I think, from the 50s, 60s, and 70s through Hammer Horror Productions. I think most people are going to know him as a Grand Moff Tarkin in Star Wars. <laughs> in the first one. I, I suppose, was, yeah. yeah. Uh, most people are going to know, know him as the guy who the the the, the Empire guy or the, uh, the Imperial Army guy who or blew up Alderaan. Yeah, most people know him as that, the guy who tortured Princess Leia. But he had an extensive career across both television, stay, uh, stage uh, television, and, of course, in Hammer Horror, playing typ typically either Abraham Ben Helsing or Victor Frankenstein, various horror icons across the board. A very unique style. Everything about him was just screamed. I don't know. He's like he was the, the man was built as a character actor for that genre. For the horror or the macabre or the or the thriller genre, he had a, I think the closest, I think I think um, Roddy McDowell in Fright Night was definitely a that that characterization was a rip of of Peter Cushing throughout Hammer Horror. So and I loved this one because this was the sixth time that Peter Cushing played Victor Frankenstein in a Hammer Horror production, and a little <laughs> trivia. Um, the monster, uh, Frankenstein's monster, was played by David Prowse, who also played uh, Darth Vader in the suit. Who was Darth Vader, you know, the body in Star Wars. So, 
they got to work together again on that one. That was I always thought that was kind of cool. But man, I don't think I, I don't think I ever saw a performance of Peter Cushing that I didn't enjoy, especially when he was playing across from Christopher Lee, uh, Christopher Lee. Oh yeah, he, he he's I mean he's solid. He is. That's why he's lasted so long. You want to talk about in terms of the the probably the best aspect of the movie would be Peter Cushing's performance. He sells it. Fuck yeah. A gun cannot harm me. Oh, so a bullet cannot harm me. A silver bullet? Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> just the, I'm sorry. Christopher Lee didn't say that. That was just the look on his face. He's like, a bullet cannot harm me. A silver bullet? Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> the two of them played so well. I think his 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 chemistry with the other actors that he played with. Uh, um, Christopher Lee, uh, Vincent Price as well. Mm-hmm. Seeing the two of them together just so fucking cool. It's it's so sad that movies like this have been lost. I, I can't. I'm trying to think through my head. Like what you know, you've got like we did get back into that Netflix series Dra- Dracula. That was that was good. But when it comes to uh, like Hammer Horror in general, it, it kind of faded out. And you know, it was revived at one point in time. You know, we had the. The classic Frankenstein, classic Dracula, Wolfman, uh, mm. even like King Kong, the Mummy, the Mummy. Mummy. Yep. You know, you, you get these movies that were that were great, and they were slowly dying out towards the fifties, uh, just because production quality started to jump up, and these other Hammer horror type movies kind of stayed low budget, uh, low pr- production, but they started to die out because people weren't watching them, and then you know in the fifties. Uh, Hammer Studios in England came along and they they revived all of it. Mummy, Frankenstein, Dracula, that awesome new sets, uh, Cushing and Christopher Lee took over this, this scene and knocked them out over and over and over again. And then, you know, it, then the 70s come along. 22 horror films. 22 horror films he was in there for Hammer Studios. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. A whole bunch. And it was great. And then, you know, and then in the 70s, the same kind of issue started coming along where it was like people were starting to lose interest in these, you know, hammer horror, these knock it out, low budget films. Um, and, and something I was doing some research on this and somebody put it in one way, uh, the low budget, the low budget and low quality work started to focus more on, you know, tits than it did on plots and it kind of started to fade off during that time um uh christopher lee played uh dracula yeah uh where he didn't even speak mm-hmm. and he well, i mean with that with that with that look i mean you think of that look yeah but the reason he didn't give, yeah. he didn't speak in the movie was he was so like taken up, he just didn't. He was so appalled by the the dialogue that he refused to <laughs> to speak. He's just not, the I'm dialogue was so bad that he was like, "No, I will just fucking stand there. If you want me in this movie, I'm not saying I'm not using this line." And then they eventually were like, "Fine, just you know, do you without words." And he uh, he did nail it in that movie with, with that look. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, like it, it it sucks because these hammer horror type films just and then even with uh hammer studios they did so many good things like you said 22 movies uh with cushion christopher lee worked so well together it it sucks that it came down to 
budget over plot. We were talking about that earlier. And that's this movie actually like really ties a lot of stuff together because you know, you get these high budget, high quality productions that trump these low budget like hammer style films, which sucks cuz these were good. They were good. They're fun. You know, and then, you know, in the 70s, of course, you know, everybody started taking their clothes off. So it was going to go that way either way. But it just got snuffed out by these high grossing, high budgeting, you know, films. It, it really, I really love Hammer Horror and it hurts to watch it just fall so hard. You get a, you get a taste. People change because you had the first, the universal monsters in the 30s, right? We've talked about all of those. And then we get the hammer whore that brings it back. It's like now it's in color. It's a little bit of a bigger budget behind it. We bring up the classic Dracula, Wolfman. We just continue on. Then you get some of these iconic movies as the audience changes because then you get Night of the Living Dead. In 68, you get Rosemary's Baby in 68. And then even in 74, the same year the Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out. I think you have the Hammer Horror were like the horror films from your parents at that time. Whereas Rosemary Baby, The Omen, The Exorcist, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween. Those are the horror movies of the next generation. They wanted something new more graphic, more gratuitous, bigger elements, like you know, the less of the supernatural elements to it. The taste changed at that time, and ho- well, Hammer Horror was a thing of the past. Yeah, I think, yeah, it definitely gave way to the slasher genre. I think um, people were looking for something new, and it's, I, I like to attribute it as that Hammer had run its course. There was only so many stories you could tell. They did seven Frankenstein movies. Okay, and you know a, a number of Dracula films, and I think you 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 can wear things down to a nub, and without you know a major reinvention, they were just relying on the same old formulas. And thankfully, they got to go out. I don't I don't think we didn't see like the 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 crack, like the absolute destruction of it. It it was a sharp decline and it hurt, but the slasher genre was there to pick up the pieces. And as time has gone on, this was back in the 70s, is now 2020, so, you know, 50 years. You know, here, oh, coming up on almost 50 years later, we can go back and we can appreciate these for what they are. And see the kind of history of horror in that respect, that they don't make movies like this anymore. They really don't. And I don't know if you could get away with a movie like this today. Even with the decline and being kind of 50 years old. I don't think somebody could go and take Frankenstein and maybe kind of work today. We did get the Invisible Man, but I don't know. I don't know if that style of filmmaking See, could work. I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree because, like I said, we just had that Dracula film or you know series, I guess. And then uh, the the uh, the British one, the one on BBC, yeah, yeah, the the three it was it three parts. Yeah, it's it. Each one, each one is an hour and a half. It was fucking amazing. So, yeah, just like they they shot it just like they did Sherlock. Yeah, with you know with with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, I thought it was brilliant. It was just an absolute love letter to Hammer Horror. Oh, it was great. And then also, uh, what was it Penny Dreadful that had Victor Frankenstein in it? Right. It yeah. did. Yeah, they it they covered end. a lot of old Hammer Horror stuff in that. That was good too. I think maybe this is something that could 
I think I think Penny Dreadful harkened back to the Universal monsters. Definitely did. Yeah, it was definitely more in universe, that respect. I guess. But um, there was aspects. It was, it, it was character, and that was character driven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. But I mean, even with like the the Dracula, that was even newer than the Penny Dreadful series. But that I, I think I think they could bring it back. I think now's the time. I mean, you got to be careful with stuff like Frankenstein because it has definitely been overdone, um, and. Uh, 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 fucking werewolves have been overdone but i think like the mummy has been not like the movie the mummy but the mummy in general has been out for long enough that we could maybe bring something like that back in a like a modern hammer horror type situation oh well, there's so many there's so many roadblocks in between because the mummy turned into an action adventure series and then when they tried to reinvent it tom cruise destroyed it yeah. No, I'm not talking about the mummy. I'm talking about. But like, we're talking about the, in terms of like the name, even though the monster, the mummy. Yeah, even though yeah, yeah even though you had the you know the Brendan Fraser and the Tom Cruise, their mummy's different than the mummy say from the 30s. But when you market the film, people are automatically going to compare that. Oh yeah. I guess that would be hard to do too. I want to see Creature from the Black Lagoon again. God yes. Yes. That's what I want to see. Yes. Some, yeah, that'd be a good one. You know, that's that's something hasn't been tackled in a while. Because you have to kind of wait for, like, the mummy to fall off. There's been a couple of, in terms of, like, the movie-wise, like, I, Frankenstein, eh. Uh, yeah. That. And they, they've, they've made a couple, they've, they've tempted the, they've tempted the wolf man. I think back in 2010, and that was still in the huge Twilight era, where werewolves were like what werewolves were. To okay, them. <laughs> I'm sorry. There is a movie that that does uh, vampire. Not see, I'm going to say vampires and werewolves, and now I just thought of fucking Twilight, uh, Dracula and a werewolf, and I cannot fucking remember the name of it. Had to have been ten years ago. Shit, can't remember. Listeners, if you if you remember, there was a vi- there was a movie. It, there was Dracula, and there was a werewolf in it. The werewolf was tracking Dracula through a library. That's all I remember of it. Uh, I I don't know. I can't remember. I don't. Well, the only thing I don't remember, you know, Dracula sense and werewolves was in Van Helsing, with uh. Talk about Hugh Jackman, with, right? Uh, with with Hugh with Hugh yeah, no, Jackman. no, that wasn't it. There was it was like it was a definitely a low budget movie. I can't remember. The werewolf was chasing Dracula through a, a library. Dracula was up in a window. That's all I remember. Ah, if you know, audience, let us know. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> it's going to kill me until I figure it out. If you have out. the answer, if you have the answer, let us know. Send us an email. I have faith that somebody out there knows this answer. That we can give a shout out. Shout out. Like, remember that one movie? It's called This. Thank you, listeners. Please. Please. <laughs> uh, poor Hammer Horror. I know, but you know we get we got so many great performances from you know Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee and others, and just looking at the long list of Peter Cushing's roles, I'd actually like to ask the audience, what is your favorite Peter Cushing role? You know, was it Frankenstein? I said it again. I said it. I told myself I wouldn't say it. I said it again. Drink. <laughs> da. 
As our audience is dead now, because I've said it like 20 times already. <laughs> Nobody's even here anymore. They're all just drunk, passed out on the floor. So what is your favorite Peter Cushing role? Whether it is Sherlock, because he's on TV series, Sherlock Holmes, which is actually really good, from the great. 60s. Or Frankenstein, or maybe just a huge Star Wars fan, and you just like him as Admiral Tarkington. So let this us... Keeps... Star Wars. (laughs) I'm sorry, Star Wars fans. Grand Moth Tarkin. Grand Moth Tarkin. Not, not Tarkinton. (laughs) Who's that? Grand Moth Tarkinton. That's kind of like Barrington. Oh God, no! Don't don't go there. I I personally enjoy I enjoy Peter Cushing as as anytime he played Van Helsing. He was always fun in that, especially. In the early films, when he, was, when he was across from Christopher Lee, the two of them just had a repper. Uh, they're both, you know, they're both English. They're they're both um, from the you know the period for of World War of uh, what was it World War One. So I, I tremendous respect for both for both of those men. Um, really, really enjoyed this. Uh, World War Two. We really enjoyed their uh, their work together. So, you know, you don't get camaraderie. You know, I say you don't get rapport between actors in a film like that very often these days. You really don't. And having the opportunities to work together for so many different films, that's another thing that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. So, yeah, let us know in the comments below, what is your favorite Peter Cushing role? And we have a couple of birthdays also. We do. Uh, JL, who's our first birthday? All right. We have, uh, first up, um, you may not know him, but you have definitely heard him. Born April 28th, 1958, we have composer Christopher Young. And I want to bring this uh, this fine fine uh, gentleman up because, like I said, you may not know who he is, you may not uh, know what he looks like, but you have definitely heard his work since the 1980s, with the dorm that, starting with the dorm that dripped blood, all the way through to today. Uh, I think um, up to uh, the pet, up to Pet Cemetery, the remake. This man has been composing for horror films nonstop. Over a hundred film credits to his name. Classic stuff. Uh, Hell ba- uh, or Hellraiser, Hellraiser Two, The Fly Two, uh, Jennifer Eight, The Dark Half, Species, Virtuosity. You know, so many, I mean, urban legend. See, you brought this up when we were talking earlier in the week, and I watched uh, The Core because I've been watching, <laughs> I've been watching a lot of fucking, I've been watching a whole bunch of like apocalyptic movies. So, uh, yeah, The Core, I saw his name in the credits and I was like, no shit. Yeah, and uh, The Grudge, The Grudge 2, so many, sleep, uh, I mean. Oh, dude, you could go all fucking day. I could, I could, and I'm only up to, um, I'm only in the 2000s at that point. The reason I wanted to bring Christopher up, now, number one, here at Weekend Horror, we like to showcase individuals that you may not have heard of or people that contribute very heavily to the horror industry, not just big name actors, but sometimes sometimes character actors. Those individuals that play those roles, you, you'd never know who they were, but you've seen them a hundred times. And it's sound and music scoring is so vital to the horror experience. That unsung heroes like Christopher Young, who should get you know, the, who don't get the credit I feel they don't get the public credit I believe that they deserve for the efforts that they bring in to create atmospheres that draw us in 
and wring us the fuck out by the time that they're done. These films wouldn't be what they were without the work of, of an individual like Chris Freya. There are many composers out there. He's one of the great ones. And I, I wanted to bring him up. This is So happy birthday to you, Christopher. We're so glad you're still working at it. Can't wait to hear what you have next. I think his next one coming up is uh, he's doing the score for The Empty Man, the, which I think is coming out this year. Is that this year? Yeah, it's a, it's a supernatural horror film based on a graphic novel. Um, it's kind of a, you know, it's got some names in it. Uh, Joel Courtney, uh, Samantha Logan, Stephen Root. I thought you were going to say Joel McHale. <laughs> Sorry, I'm watching Community yeah. again. It's basically, you know, like a cult is trying to summon up this monster and, you know, this, this ex-cop who is, you know, trying to find this young girl. It, it, it's a supernatural, typical supernatural horror film. But that's the work that Christopher does, that Christopher Young has always done since the 80s. Hey, he does a great you job know, at it. He does an excellent job. So happy birthday, Christopher. Happy birthday, Christopher. Happy birthday. And we got one more. We sure do. Uh, April 29th, 1972, we've got Derek Mears, who we've actually talked about today. I like how all the things we talked about ended up coming in like full circle. It's been great. But This, uh, week, this week was an interesting week like that. Yeah. yeah. It, it all ended up, yeah. Uh, Derek Mears, born April 29th, 1972, in Bakersfield, California. Um, you might know him from the movie that we mentioned earlier, the 2009 Friday the 13th remake. Um, he was also on Sleepy Hollow, Predators, and Men in Black 2 uh, were his biggest roles uh, that he contributed. This dude, I mean, he goes he goes deep into a whole bunch of things. And doing research on him, too, I was surprised to find out that he's actually 6'5" which was like damn that's tall I, he's pretty i mean i'm like six almost six four see i like to stretch it a little bit i'm six three and three quarters but you know whenever you meet somebody <laughs> that's like taller than you when you're that tall it's always super fucking intimidating so i can only imagine people working on set with him like uh, <laughs> especially in friday the 13th i mean you can see it in that movie because you know he's just tall as fuck over everybody else. But even like Jared Padalecki, he's tall as shit too. He's still, yeah, I don't know. This dude, this dude does it for me. I, it, we mentioned it, we talked about it earlier this week. And when I was looking into it, I was like, fuck man. I didn't realize I knew how much, you know, how much he was involved in a lot of the movies that I'd seen. Oh yeah. Oh, typically yeah. playing, you know, obviously his, his size, um, and his, and his, cause he also works as a stuntman. Um, his ability you know, to play monsters is pretty much the you know, it's obvious. We're going to stick him in, stick him in a suit, make him look scary. I I want to give some credit to his latest performance. Uh, he because he was Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. He was Swamp Thing. Yeah, yeah in, the 2019 in the, in the, Swamp in the, Thing. In the, in the uh, yeah, in the canceled DC series. Um, such an um, despite the fact that obviously he is a plant monster, you know, plant man monster. He was fucking amazing in that, and I was wildly impressed because obviously he he put his nose to the grindstone and did his fucking work and went you know he went after like an actor instead of just a stuntman playing a monster yeah and he you know he turned in one of the best performances i've ever seen him turn in so i really want to give some serious credit to him for doing that uh for him uh, putting that out uh, i don't think he got enough credit that, that that fucking series got canceled before you know just as it was getting good Oh, yeah, we didn't even get a game. Such a fucking shame, such a waste. But you know, congrats to him on that. And you know, dude, I know he's got a 
he's got a lot of stuff coming oh, up. Oh yeah. Oh for sure. And uh I wanted to throw a shout out to him to uh Alita Battle Angel. I don't know if you watched that yet. It's great. Um but Eugene, we were talking before the show about uh Rooster Teeth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if you know about their series uh Ruby. No? Wait, say that one more time. Ruby? Ruby. It's spelled R W B Y. It's a series that Rooster Teeth put out. Oh, a red, red, white, red, white, blue, yellow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He he voices uh, Corsac Albain in that. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, which is yeah, um, which was cool because that's like we were talking about earlier. Uh, Rooster Teeth has become a part of my life in the last few years, so that was cool. Um, he was on the Orville, which is one of my favorite shows ever. Oh, I love that show. <laughs> and then he did a TV movie back in 2018 called "Hunky Boys Go Ding Dong." <laughs> I love that title. <laughs> I, know. I know, and that yeah, that was another thing. He was a he was a character chat. He was pretty cool on, on on comedy Bang Bang. Yeah, comedy Bang Bang for sure. <laughs> he, he, that was pretty. That was pretty. Slick. But emo, like emo Phillips was in uh, Hunky Boys Go Ding Dong, so that's what really caught me. And then uh, when I was researching, I was like, no shit, this is okay. It all comes full circle on this. It's cool. So cool. Yeah, definitely. Just amazing. Yeah, dude. Uh, happy Pierce. birthday, Derek. Happy birthday, kill Derek. It. Keep killing it. Always kill it. Happy birthday. Yep. You know, we've all we've right. covered we've covered everything from the horror, the macabre, the thrillers. We've touched all of it today. It's been a full episode. Has it's been. been a seriously full episode. Welcome. Thank you for hanging with us. <laughs> and and always, yes. This brings another episode of Week in Horror to a close. We want to thank our listeners so much for hanging with us. We hope we entertained. We hope we informed. As always, your feedback, your comments, your questions are always welcome. Hit us up at weekinhorror at gmail.com. We also added a new tier to our Patreon, a $1 tier. So your support helps us make this show. If you're able to support anything, we are so glad. We'd be able to shout you out for the $1 tier. We have a bunch of other tiers. We have access. We have early access to our other projects. Week in Horror Bloodbath, where we pit horror icons against each other in a battle to the death, or our Week in Horror After Dark, where when we have our special guests on, we sit down and have some intimate time with them and talk to, talk to them a little bit about the uh, horror genre and where they see it going. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at facebook.com slash weekendhorror and twitter.com slash weekendhorror. Get into our daily splatter, a little bit of horror information every single day right to your feed. And of course, I am JL. I'm Alex. I'm Eugene. We'll see you next week. And as always, stay scared.